You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy discussing other filmmakers' work. And uh, we are currently on our second pass of the alphabet, and we are on letter F for this particular show. Yes, we are indeed. Uh, Our director tonight that we're going to be talking about is John Frankenheimer. Yes. Well... (laughs) When I was uh, studying at Panico, uh, one of my friends there, um, Nick Hughes, he introduced me to the work of uh, John Frankenheimer. Um, uh, And the first film of his I saw was, um, it was The Train. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then I went to sort of see films like The Birdman of Alcatraz, The Maturian Candidate, uh, Seven Days in May. uh, And also, I... I hadn't realised that I had seen some of his films before as well, stuff like Grand Prix and Black Sunday. So, um, you know, he's a a director who's been working in the industry for a very long time. Uh, He's made a lot of sort of well-known films. But um, the one thing I I remember uh, that Nick really loved about his work was the use of his um, deep photography. It was uh, all about the deep focus. And mm-hmm. for a long time, it was a term that I had heard, but I didn't quite understand what it meant. And it, it's not till sort of, it wasn't till after, a while after that, what I kind of found out what that meant. So I'm going to get a bit uh, technical here. <laughs> oh, tech away, <laughs> tech, tech away. <laughs> In films, um, the sort of chosen depth of field is a shallow depth of field. And to get that, you open the lens uh, wide. So you get what's called a high F-stop or T-stop. So it's like uh, usually films are shot at like an F, between F2 and F5.6. So you get that sort of shallow depth of field. So the person you're looking at stands out against um, their backgrounds, you know. And that's considered to be the cinematic look. Now, when it comes to deep focus, everything is in focus. And how you use that as a storyteller, and the first person who sort of was recognised for using that was Orson Welles for Citizen Kane, where he would have a character in the foreground and the background in focus at the same time. Now, 
during the sort of 60s and 70s, the trend was to use what's called a split diopter. And what that does is it brings the two, um, it can bring two actors or characters or, or people in a scene together, but there's a line running down the middle. And also that means that they're both their backgrounds are sort of out of focus. But with the deep focus, everything's in focus. And it's a look that works really well in black and white. And that, for the, for, for the early part of John Frankenheimer's career, was where he worked. I mean, he, I believe his first colour film, I don't know, actually. I don't know what his first colour film was. It might have been Grand Prix, actually. I think it was Grand Prix. Because I know The Train and Seconds, which were films that he made before Grand Prix, were in black and white. So... His earlier films, his sort of more well-known films like Bergman and Maturing Karen that were both, were all black and white. And so the deep focused photography looks really great in that. But he has, he's, he still uses it. I remember reading American Cinematography about uh, the last film he shot, which was a TV movie called Path to War. And uh, he, even in that, he was using uh, you know, deep focus photography. And I believe, I haven't seen it, but I believe it's colour. So, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, it was always one of those sort of um, technical things where I didn't quite understand what it was. But it's what gives his films a sort of unique look. I mean, if you think about the scene in The Manchurian Candidate when the mother's talking on the phone, in the foreground and you've got the stepfather in the background and he's sort of he you know you've got two bits of action going on at the same time but they're both perfectly in focus and you don't get the rack focus because either which uh if you for those who don't know rack focus is when the the focus changes from one person to another well well consider considering it i was gonna say consider it something you said you didn't really understand um Back in the day, you certainly do now because I couldn't have described that better myself. So that was that was a very a very good a very good and thorough uh, <laughs> e explanation there for our listeners, Simon. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's, it's something I've been thinking about lately, and also the fact that uh, shooting with um, digital SLRs has has brought that in the fore for me because um, back in well. When I shot my feature Blood and Roses, that was on a HDV camera and trying to get the cinematic look was very difficult because everything was in focus. And, and now you've got the opposite problem where uh, with the digital SLRs, uh, everything tends to be, you know, shallow focus. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. all that meant, though, is that when he was filming, those sets were brightly lit. I mean, tons of lights coming into being projected down onto those actors so that they get that depth of field yeah they were probably shooting f11 yeah to get no that, I, I, abs yeah. absolutely it's it's a style that that you know he, he absolutely likes to use um many 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 people you know even even up to nowadays use that as well and and you know the things like split diopter have become very uh very vogue for certain films and you're absolutely right i mean it dates right the way back to orson wells um and citizen kane where you know his argument was when he looks at things with with the human eye everything's in focus so 
why can't it be in film? And um, exactly, you, you and know, also you know. it gives the actors, um, you know, the a bit room to move, so that you can have somebody in the foreground and somebody in the background. I yes. mean, there's always that great shot of when uh, when Kane is typing um, the sort of review for the play, and he's massively in the foreground, and then you've got his his friend in the background sort of you know stumbling around and being drunk and due to that sort of deep focus you you can see both of them perfectly well while if it was shot today you'd probably find that his friend would be blurred out in the background or yeah he yeah be blurred and, and, out. and they'd rack it to him yeah with, you know yeah. when he's got some dialogue or something again again you know these are all as with anything with with the sort of storytelling medium through film you know that there's there's no sort of right or wrong that they all do their own things and they all have different sort of uh effects on the audience and and you know are often you you know as you said someone like frankenheimer and indeed wells um you know have used it very effectively in their films um you know there there are there are some directors that have used it more sort of um, stylistically and, and, and showy, you know, rather than necessarily being part of the narrative. So, I mean, we talk a lot about, um, you know, obviously Brian De Palma, who's a very stylistic director, and uh, he's been known to, to on occasions use those type of shots as well with mm. the uh, with the split diopter and the um, the focus, among many others, you know. But um, but but yeah. It's it's sort of when when you do the whole everything in focus, it kind of it's kind of like an old school trick, say, or it's or uh, as a lot of people have sort of commented about it, it's not it has to be done in a way that is interesting and that it's justified because otherwise they just say oh well it doesn't look that good because everything's in focus. Mm. <laughs> well yeah and i mean i mean and it is a funny argument now as well as we move into this sort of whole world of high def and ultra high def and 4k and all this sort of thing and um you, you, you know where everything is absolutely crystal clear and sharp and in focus and then there's there's those that feel that that looks almost too real and it doesn't have a um you know a, a filmic look and uh, it is it's just all about how you use these tools isn't yeah. it and uh, well I think yeah i mean that... i was just going to say there's uh if you remember when the first hobbit came out they tried the 48 frames per second oh, the high frame rate uh, thing, yeah. yeah and uh, just from your reaction <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was such a success <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, good on Peter Jackson for trying things and whatever. But to me, it made it look like a, you know, it made it look like it was shot on video and it looked like a sort of 70s costume drama, you, you know, television, like a BBC costume drama and stuff in places. It just seemed very surreal. But uh, but again, you know, we're moving towards HDR and all that sort of thing now. And um uh yeah i mean i guess I, I i don't know it'd be interesting to see what um someone younger like somebody in their teens or their early 20s think when they watch something uh projected i i know i went around my my friend's house who's just got um recently bought sky q okay. and uh on that they were showing um spectre but it was a actually a 4k 
transfer of, of specs, even though it's obviously not true 4K on on a UHD Sky um, presentation. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and we know that that means the films are going to get re-released all over again on 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 UHD. But there you go. Um, but yeah, and it was funny because you watched it, and uh, we were commenting on that because you know the high the high frame rate and and, and everything looked a bit. It, it did make it look slightly odd but it, it but at the same time very very clear um and it was yeah i mean it's just what we get used to watching i suppose isn't it well yeah <laughs> but i mean the the thing about uh the the films even though they're like ultra hd and and high da- dynamic range that is just that's just the color that's just it just means there's more colors on the screen what why there's the uh it's because a lot of the tvs are set to 60 frames per second and of course, the yeah. films are at twenty-four frames per second, so they're at the wrong frame rate. So they're going to look incorrect. There's going to be you know a weird effect, and it's it's, it's a, because when the TVs come out of the factory, that's what they're set for. So you have to go yeah. into the menus and you have to reset them, and you find it's fine. That yeah. in Ultra yeah. HD and stuff, it's just that when the TVs come out, they're not set up properly. I mean, I had the same yeah. problem. I got a HD TV back in 2007. I brought it on set, and the settings on it were terrible. And it was, it was, everything was boosted up. All the the colors, the contrast, the lighting. So everything looked like shit. Everything looked flat, and you know, and trying and trying to watch films on it was just a nightmare. And I had to go in, and I just had to change all the settings. And it's just a shame that. When they come out the factory, they're not set to their premium setting. They are just, I don't know, whatever. I don't know. They're just, they're just the settings are usually quite bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, the set. You know, people are going on the um, the assumption that obviously having a, a higher frame rate will will make it look better. But the thing is, you, you know, it, it, movies are shot the way they are for a reason. And uh, yeah, they're not. <laughs> it, it, it becomes it gets in that sort of uncanny territory, doesn't it? When it's um, when it doesn't look quite right. I think you find if you were watching something that was shot at sixty frames per second, it would be a different story. Yeah, like a wildlife yeah. program or sport or something what like what that. What I'm saying you know? is what that effect is coming from is is that you're watching it at the wrong frame rate. So yeah. that's why you're getting this weird effect. Because it's trying yeah. to still, it's it's stretching those twenty four frames, well, doubling them up to make them sixty frames per second. So it's trying to put more frames into that one second when it doesn't need to, and that's where you get the weird effect from. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm, anyway, I'm, anyway, John but, Frankenheimer, but John Frankenheimer. Yeah, no. <laughs> who never I mean, shot I, in I sixty think, frames per second. <laughs> never ever. No. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I think you summed it up when you used the term old school because yeah. you know he was. I mean, he was making movies long before we were born. Um, yeah. and sadly, you know, we lost him in two thousand and two. Um, but you know, he was making movies all the way through that time. But he had indeed, you know. He, he was one of those old school that had come up through um, doing television before, before transitioning into into movies. And, you, you know, he, he like he'd been a first AD for the likes of, uh, you know, Sid, Sidney Lumet, for example, mm. who's another fantastic filmmaker, another fantastic old school yes. filmmaker, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, you know, he, he kind of, he, he, he kind of, uh, had a go at everything and really, really sort of, you, you know, knew his craft, understood his storytelling. Um, interestingly as well, and I'm not sure if this is true because it's, it's a thing online and uh, you never know whether these things are true or not, but, um, as a bit of trivia, uh, he used to be an actor as well. And apparently, um, although we know that they approach nearly everyone anyway, but, um, <laughs> Cubby Broccoli, um, talked to him about James Bond before they made Dr. No, allegedly, um, which is interesting. Another Bond connection. So, uh, <laughs> but in what capacity? To play him. Okay. Yeah, which uh, is interesting. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, if it's IMDb, then usually uh, it, you, you get these sort of facts where, I don't know, I think they copy and paste them where they say, oh, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, all these yeah. other people were up for this one role. And you're like, really? Well, I mean, he was born the same year as Sean Connery, so mm. I suppose uh, I yeah. suppose it's possible. But um, but but you know, um, absolutely, you know, great body of work there. I have to confess, and and again, it's one of the good things we're doing movie heaven, movie hell. Is um, I'd be lying if I said I'd seen all of his films. I absolutely haven't seen his his entire filmography. I've uh, seen a fair few of them, mm. and some of them I've seen multiple times, but. Uh, um i haven't seen everything that he's done um but you know to the most part um a, a strong body of work a, a varied body of work as well which is interesting um the other thing you know i mean he's he's been noted for a lot of his 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 realism um and his action sequences which will obviously come on to yes but um the other thing is, in a few cases, uh, he's he has also taken over projects last minute, which I know we'll delve very deep into at some some point. Yes, but um, but but you know, a couple of times successfully. Um, yes, yeah. Well, he, I believe you know, come on board. I believe French Connection <laughs> Two was one that he came on board and um, sort of turned that into success I, i'm not quite sure what the other one that was successful i know um, the one that wasn't successful but well yes yeah we know that no there was uh the third one um i'm just trying to oh god i did know in uh goldfish memory it's gone out of my head already um well, but why you think about it did you know there's an he there's another james bond connection he directed a, that... yes uh john frankenheimer directed a seven up commercial where all uh, right a, a thief on a motorcycle steals James Bond's seven up and he chases him with a tank. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> Check it. It's, it's on his IMDb page and it's like the penultimate thing he directed. Wow. Okay. That's, that's good to know. There you go. You see, every, everything's connected to Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, it's the other one. It has come to my memory now. The other one's a film you've already mentioned, actually, was the the train starring Burt Lancaster. Oh, okay. um, that was originally going to be directed by Arthur Penn. Oh, and okay. uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, um, uh, yeah, Frankenheimer, Frankenheimer took over that oh, okay. one um yeah Fr french connection 2 is an interesting one i did almost consider um picking that uh, as 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 a as one of my picks just to talk about sequels a little bit because obviously we have another um f in william freakin who mm. of course did the original 
French Connection, which was a, an amazing film. Um, and it was just interesting. I thought, yeah, let's let's see whether the sequel kind of kind of worked or not. And uh, it was interesting that they took that, you know, Gene Hackman's Popeye Doyle character and sort of put him in this sort of fish out of water adventure by um, by having him go. go go to to france to to you know track down the bad guy from the the, the first film and uh, i i think it's an interesting film in its own right but not necessarily it doesn't you know obviously hold up to the um to to to, to the legacy of uh, of the original film yeah um, yeah it's it's, but, a, it's uh, a bit more it's a little bit more conventional than uh, uh the first french connection is but then saying that you you know you have that whole scene with him uh trying to go cold turkey because he's yes. addicted to heroin yeah no it's it's i mean it's a very it's still a very good film mm. um as i said I, I did for a minute there consider whether or not to pick that one but uh but I, but but i ended up changing my mind <laughs> uh, but uh before we get on to our picks i just want to sort of uh, point out about the the train as well as it being the sort of first example of a one-man army which um you know was sort of we hadn't really seen that in cinema up to that point the idea of one man taking on uh you know like a, an army of foes or in this case the nazis i mean, even though he gets helped by uh by sort of uh, other french resistance fighters and stuff at the end of the day he does take him on by himself and uh you know this get to say its own kind of genre in the uh, the action field the whole idea of the one man taking on you know you know a whole army of foes exactly a forerunner to um you know to what stallone and those guys did further down the track you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but, before uh... before rambo or commando or um uh die hard you know those films that were yeah. very popular in the 80s it was a film that you know, came, dated those, you know, 20 years beforehand. Yeah, you know, very, very, very impressive director. And he, you know, he certainly had his ups and downs in his career. Um, <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, but, you know, looking at the filmography, I would say more hits than misses, um, to be fair, you yeah. know. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, he, he was absolutely... Um, in the sixties, he, he was really going for it, wasn't mm. he? I mean, he was yeah. really, yeah. really kind of the man of the moment in the, uh, in the, you know, uh, mid to late sixties. Um, and well, he, he was having a film come out practically every year. In fact, sometimes more than one film a year That's right. um, yes. through that period. And they, they, they were all very strong movies and, and big hits and, uh, you know, very renowned for working with really big movie stars as well. Cause the, the sort of names he was pulling, I mean, I've, you know, I've already mentioned Burt Lancaster, but you, you know, um, we, we've talked on previous podcasts ab about the Manchurian candidate, yes. you know, and, uh, the fact that he had, you know, Sinatra, um, in that. And obviously, uh, seven days in may was was kirk douglas um you, you know these were all people that at that point in their careers were were, were really really you know hot really big names so um he, you know he, he certainly has worked with the uh 
with the talent. And I think a lot of that was based on on his reputation. You know, people wanted to be in a John Frankenheimer film, you know, nowadays where, you know, we talk about people want to be in a Steven Spielberg film or a David Fincher film. You know, back in back in the 60s, people want, you know, actors wanted to be in John Frankenheimer movies and, and work with the man. So. Uh, so, yeah, great, great, great legacy. I think he's got here overall. Um <laughs> with with a couple of exceptions which we'll come on to <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know exception. I, I I'm, <laughs> you're, what you were just saying there I, I, I don't know if that is true because the end of the day he was a director who he never really originated his own projects apart from one and he was right. always he was always sort of brought on if, if I know for you know he he Director made, for hire. He was a director for hire, you know, and so I, I, I don't know. I don't see him kind of like being a Spielberg. I don't think that was a time. Um, you got to remember that the the sixties, the fifties, sixties wasn't the age of the director. You know, no, that was more you, the seventies. It was the seventies, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the Scorsese's and. Spielberg's etc yeah yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and so you know he he was like he was a, a working director you know uh, you know he wasn't yeah if, if anybody was a Spielberg of their age at that time that would have been Kubrick because Kubrick sure. you know Kubrick when he, his name on a film people came to see it uh but it, it, it that's just true. Frankenheim is not a, a billboard name. No, he's no, not. That, a, he's, not a, he's not no, a he's billboard not. name. He was somebody no. who made, um, you know, very good films that people went to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're, you're correct. Actually, my my assumption there is is probably yeah, looking at it in the wrong way because yeah, you're right. He he, he is he, he never had that sort of name. I mean, he did something that that that's less common. Um, nowadays as well in terms of working up through the ranks you know like mm. being a first assistant and doing television and then moving up into movies i mean that 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 was like a sort of career path back in the day which which is much less common you know in the era since the 70s onwards for that to happen and well and interestingly it's sort of going the other way now because <laughs> people are people are going from feature films in into television yeah. so um yeah. Yeah. uh and and he actually ended up going back to tv didn't he yes. um just before he uh he died, just yeah. before his untimely uh death but um yeah yeah no but but you know no, nonetheless he's he's a uh he's, he might not be a household name but i think in terms of filmmakers and people who, who have an appreciation for cinema mm. and film history and whatever he's definitely a respected name yes i would say there you go yeah yeah <laughs> right uh so keith uh what is your pick for movie heaven okay well i ended up just going back as i often do to these to, to, to my gut feeling um with a movie of his that uh you know, it might be a bit of an obvious choice, but I absolutely love it and um, always have. And that is uh, from 1998. It's his uh, spy action thriller film, Ronin, uh, you, you know, with a a, uh, a star-studded cast, you know, headed up by Robert De Niro. Um, 
this 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 film i just think i I watched it again in prep for the podcast i'd seen it obviously numerous times at the cinema and on dvd and blu-ray etc and uh, i yeah I i never get tired of it it's it's one of those films that for me really really kicks ass and works on all levels um it's uh you know, story-wise, uh, it's essentially uh, a team of, well, I suppose you could call them mercenaries, are hired to um, get this briefcase or this 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 case, which ends up being somewhat of a sort of Hitchcockian MacGuffin um, in this film. Uh, but what you've got here is in the cast. You know, you've got no less than, than than three we're back to the bond connection but three <laughs> three bond villains in this cast yes. you've got uh, you, you know you've got um Sean Bean uh you've got Sean Bean yeah who, you've got who Michael was obviously Lonsdale. from Goldeneye yeah Michael Lonsdale Michael Lonsdale yeah, who played Hugo Drax in Moonraker and you've got Jonathan Price from uh, Elliot Carver from uh, Tomorrow Never Dies so there you go. yeah you've 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 got three three bond villains in it uh, you've also got the the wonderful uh, Jean Reno, who um, only a couple of years previous had also been, you know, in a spy film as well in terms of Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, great French actor, uh, you know, one of Luc Besson's frequent co- collaborators. Um, fabulous to see him in this. Uh, you've also got Stellan Sarsgaard, um, you, you know, who's who's a actor that. Uh, you know this this guy even today still still kicks it and seems to be in so many movies um it's unreal but you know he's 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 a he's a fine actor and then you've got the lovely um uh, natasha is that mccone M- i never know how to pronounce her last name exactly uh, but um, I, f- I think that's she... it <laughs> i am not yeah. going to attempt it attempt it because i'm yeah. just going yeah. to mangle it <laughs> yeah but but she she she's in this she plays um uh an irish um well again we, we're not exactly sure where we, <laughs> we're, we're not, not sure if she's part of the ira <laughs> or what uh, it, 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 like obviously XCIA or whatever but they, well, they, they, yeah. it's an international it's, the thing that's great about yeah. it is you've got an international cast you, you know you've got uh stellan sarsgaard's obviously playing a german in this even though you, you know he's scandinavian or, or but, is uh, he or is he russian i don't know i mean it's it this is this is the this is the one thing about this film it's it's quite uh i think why it didn't do as well as it should have because it it, it, it left a lot of people scratching their heads because you have these characters who come together to do a job yet you don't know anything about their past you have to kind of guess and they talk about stuff, but they never sort of uh, elaborate on any, anything. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no one trusts anyone. Uh, Nobody trusts those, anybody. And... It's, it's one of those environments yeah. where, um, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think I, I, I'm, I presu- I'm presuming, I think the film was, was, a, was a big commercial success, no? Um, uh, but... I don't know, to tell the truth. Um I didn't. I see. I didn't do enough homework, but um, but uh, you know, effectively. I mean, I I think this is massively enjoyable. No, actually, no, it wasn't. It was a flop. It was uh, according to IMDb, but Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, it didn't. It just scraped back its money from a uh, a sort of fifty-five million. uh, Really? Yeah. 
okay. according to See, IMDb. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked by that. I mean, well, well it's. That, I mean, it's the thing was. Um, you know, it was '98. <laughs> I, I don't remember '98 being a particularly good year for films. It wasn't like '99. Oh my God, '99 was a great year for films, uh, barring you know Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I uh, see. I, I I remember '98 because um, that was that was the year I sort of um, started working in the film industry. So. I was very aware of this film. I remember watching a couple of documentaries about Cannes and always seeing the the poster. They they had like this big billboard over the entrance to one of the hotels for Ronin with the faces of like Robert De Niro and Jean Reno. And so that was kind of that image always struck with me because I remember just seeing it in all these multiple documentaries on TV. But um, I don't think it was a I don't think it was a, a sort of big hit. I think it just scraped through i think it just collected its oh, money right. which yeah yeah i mean it was a film i it was a film i saw on video right okay i was gonna say for me it really ticked all the boxes because what i really liked about it uh i really enjoy films that have um european settings mm, yeah. um <laughs> y- 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 you know uh this 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 goes sort of from paris to nice um can, can i can and... i can i say something about this Uh, It's kind of funny now watching this because uh, having now been to the south of France and kind of knowing (laughs) where the geography is, it's a bit weird that um, so they're based in Nice and the car is traveling from Monaco to a hotel yet. Uh, it, it, it's a bit I, I just remember watching it this time thinking wait a minute I, 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 sort of like wait a minute are they in Monaco that's not Monaco that's is that Nice is that you know you're just like oh wait a minute no can so you've got can so you've got Nice can and Monaco <laughs> and I believe well, you know. I, I believe that uh, they're traveling they're, they're traveling they're, they're traveling to Monaco uh, but the hotel is in can and they're based in Nice <laughs> no. yeah. So Monaco is like on the other side of Cannes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to Nice. Yeah. And so, oh, Nice is the other side. I was so, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, this is. Uh, wait a minute. The, the, the geography of this is really screwed up. <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, but it's just so entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I really like this. Film. It was, it was, um, it was like um, <laughs> when you watch um, uh, Twenty Eight Weeks Later, and they walk. They they walk from the Isle of Dogs to Wembley and they go they just take this weird and wonderful route that nobody would take because they literally hit, jump across the river and back again and you know it's like anybody who lives in London go wait a minute what the hell yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they even well, took know, the wrong they're... line to Wembley yeah no, that's true that's true but uh, no but, but um... it, it didn't it didn't I, I have to say it didn't take away from my enjoyment it was just something i noticed this time because it's like wait a minute what they're coming from nice and these guys are traveling from monaco to what what you know see this is this is what happens when hollywood films in europe there you go (laughs) (laughs) you would think frankenheimer would know because he shot french connection 2 in france as well well he did yes he did and and here's here's the thing i mean Mm. um he uh Everybody in this, I I think, is is really good. I mean, we've got this is this is De Niro good. This is De Niro back like when 
you know, he was working with Scorsese and stuff. Um, you, you know, in the latter part of De Niro's career, he has sort of made some, um, you know, odd choices here and there. But mm. this, this, this was this was De Niro doing what he does best um, in this film. It and is. Uh, but I have to say, there was. Um, I remember. I remember some of the reviews for this when it came out. It sounds like I'm picking on it, but I'm not. But I remember them referring to Robert De Niro as looking like Columbo because he's wearing the, the the raincoat at the beginning and he's looking sort of a bit, you know, scruffy and stuff. And he does. He does look a bit like Columbo. And I thought it was a little a bit unfortunate they picked that coat because it, he did very much look like Columbo. I mean, <laughs> you know, but just one more thing. <laughs> I was expecting him to say it. No, absolutely. This, this is this is what makes the show, Simon. If you, if you agree with every single thing I say, then, then it's not going to be entertaining for anyone. I know. Um, I just want to say that I enjoyed the film. Good. Yes. Good, because because no, I I really love this film. Um, but basically, uh, you know, obviously De Niro is, as I said, sort of doing what he does best in this. Uh, someone else that that I think, you know, really works in this actually is um, Sean Bean, because the thing with Sean Bean, gotta gotta love Sean Bean. Um, he's he's a guy who's got you know he's a good looking guy with a lot of charisma. Um, but he's not very good at uh, accents at all. And um, if you've seen, uh, he, he, he's done a show on um, Sky, which is now cancelled, but it's called uh, Legends. I've not, I've not seen the second season of it, but I saw right. the first season. And it was where basically, you know, he, he took on all these different personas. He was a sort of a spy taking on all these personas, but he'd have to do all sorts of different accents and i thought oh my god they've so got i know he's a name but they've so got the wrong actor for this because it's you know it's appalling i mean i was i was mm. even cringing when i saw goldeneye again recently at his him trying to do his more sort of rp speaking in that you, you know sean bean works really best when you let him be sean bean and you let him be a northerner and uh, in this he was absolutely brilliant because he was this sort of uh uh, you know, guy who was clearly somewhat out of his depth and, and was doing this with this group of people for a paycheck and was obviously shitting himself and out of his depth, but didn't want everybody to know he was out of depth. So giving it, you, you know, giving it loads of mouth. And uh, I just like the the way that um, uh, De Niro's character kind of just sees straight through him <laughs> mm. and, and cuts him down. What's it? Takes him out with a cup of coffee, as he put it. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he, he wanted just, to know what the color of the uh, the boathouse roof was. That's right. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I, I have to say, I I think this is like the one performance in the in the film. I kind of find it a bit annoying. I'm glad it's at the beginning and he gets out of the way because it's he. Because everybody else is kind of their 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 style of acting is a lot different. Because everybody's kind of like subdued, and you're watching them, and it's it's kind of like a masterclass in acting because they're not doing much. And then you got Sean Bean, you know, oh yeah, yeah, he's definitely, and you're like, (sighs) so I'm so glad when he goes, which is it's because I love Sean Bean. I remember when I saw, so I I remember seeing this after watching uh, Sharp. 
and Sharp, right, he's yes. brilliant. You know, absolutely. Yes, is, yeah. That's that is his show. I mean, so much that the author of Sharp changed the character to be Northern. You know, yeah. to be Sean Bean, because <laughs> once yeah. he took that role on, he was Sharp. But yeah. I, I thought in this one, I think it was he was he was too much. He was he was overacting too much. He still could have been the same character, but he just it was a bit too much. And you're thinking and and sort of the you know he's one of those mistake all of the mistakes he was you know he was making with that um, that gun exchange at the beginning. And it did feel if anything there's a because the film runs it's like two hours long. And if there was anything yes. I would cut out, I think would be a lot of the Sean Bean stuff. <laughs> I think that, you know, it just, it, it feels kind of like an excuse to have a, a, a you know, a, a gunfight at the beginning, just to sort of spice it up a bit where I don't, it's kind of a film where you don't need that because. Well, you get plenty of Kind of like mean... Heat. It's kind of like Heat. When it, when it comes to its um, gun battle, especially the one in Monaco, um, it's very, very heat-like, especially the the sounds of the guns and stuff. So, it, it, you you could have done without that because it just you know, I mean, the only thing that scene does is it just cements the friendship between uh, Robert De Niro and Gene Reno's characters. Yeah, yeah, which which works well. They've got some very good chemistry. Oh yeah, actually. I mean yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean you you believe that friendship. So when when the two of them part at the end, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking because they've yeah. been you know good friends, even though neither one of them knew who the other one was. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in fact, um, uh, well, we'll come we'll come to the end. I, I won't I won't go there yet. Mm. But I've I've got a comment about the end. But um, the the other thing, apparently, this actual film uh, the, or this screenplay was mm. was actually written by David Mamet. Oh, okay. Um, but because he, he he actually goes under a pseudonym of uh, Richard Weist in it, because he when he found he had to sort of share screen credit with the uh, the original writer of this, yeah. um, Mamet didn't want his own name on it. So, oh, wow. uh, but but according to um, according to uh, the commentary by Frankenheimer, um, you know Mamet did make some quite big contributions to the script uh from 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 the original screenplay so uh interesting you know an another another really good sort of playwright and and director as well in his own right having uh, having mammoth involved in this process oh but, it's, it's uh, very much like a a, a mammoth film um uh the dialogue very much reminds me of that of heist yes yes yeah no, absolutely. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very much that. It's very much um, not quippy, but it 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 doesn't give you. They they don't sit around and have in depth conversations about things. Everything's kind of snappy. Yes, know? yes, very much so. Yeah, no, you know, you're right. I mean, it's uh, um, you, you know, I think I think this all works really nice. I particularly like. Um, I love the scene where. Um, uh, De Niro and uh, uh, Deirdre, played by uh, Natasha McCone, um, when where they go and they sort of sort of stake out and 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 what 
look at this guy who's got the case and what his security details like. And I particularly like the uh, the bit where he's asking the guy to take pictures. Oh, and, yes. Oh, get all yeah. the background in and yeah, all, all it, this sort of he thing. Just, I mean, he, he just keeps demonstrating, work. doesn't he? Look, it, it works yeah. like this, just works like this, works like this. Oh, why don't you get into the photograph? Let me take a photograph <laughs> of you. And he sets up that old trap. And you just, you know, when the, the guy takes his... Um, well, takes the luggage away and knocks over the post and the guys react to it. It's brilliant. It's that's that's that is one of the things that works really well in this film is the fact that you have these really great scenes of doing this kind of um you know, surveillance, but doing it in mm-hmm. a very sort of uh you know, quick way. Nobody explains anything, he just does it. You know, yes. There's there's, yeah. there's no lots, lots no, of tension. Yeah, I mean, even when it comes down to um, the actual uh, when they go and capture the case, um, th- there isn't a scene where they sit down. And they go right. This is the plan. You know, it's like the plan's done, and now you're going to see it. So yes, that's very mammoth. I have to say, no, no, absolutely. And 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 one of the, I mean, obviously. Frankenheimer um, had great success um, directing the, the, the film uh, Grand Prix mm. uh, with, you know, with its, its incredibly realistic uh, car chases, uh, sorry, or car races in that, sorry. <laughs> yes. And then obviously in, in this one, yeah. um, he has incredibly realistic car chases and, you know, gun battles and, and all sorts of good stuff going on in this. And I think... Uh, you know the the action sequences in this. Bearing in mind, you know this 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 was pre CG. All of this stuff. This is mm. back when you know they had to use um, photography tricks and or do stuff for real. So lots yeah. of stunt work yeah. involved in this. Um, and that, I, again, that, I, I that think... reminds me. Sorry, Keith, to, to interrupt me. Sorry. That reminds me. I I remember why this didn't do very well. Um, you know the uh, final chase scene where they're going through the tunnels in France? Yes. Well, they filmed in the tunnel that Princess Diana died in. Well, Oh, that's right. Where yes. she crashed in, yeah. And yeah. that was kind of real negative publicity for that film because it, it got connected to that event. And I, it was, a, it was a, a bit of a turn-off for people. Because yeah. I, 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 that's the thing. Because every time I watch this film, I'm always looking out for that tunnel, and you see it's the second tunnel they go through. Yeah. They go fucking yeah. hell. Because they're they they're, they're, they're speeding. I believe actually there is an actual crash in that tunnel. There is when they're yeah, yeah, when they're driving along, the and it's just yeah. like that is just that's just just too. Um, it, it's weird thinking about you know talking about this nearly twenty years on, and it's still a thing. It's still kind of a, a a memory there of that event, and this film oh, yeah. will, will always be connected to that event. And I think that is why it didn't do very well because that connection was, you know, a lot of people talked about it, a lot of the reviews. Well, of course, of yeah. I mean, it's certain, it's, cer- it's certainly a shadow to have hanging over mm. it. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you know, that aside, which obviously, you, you know, um, it. it was obviously awful but the the actual the sequence itself the mm. car chase is, is is so well done and i mean back to your point earlier about 
minimal score in this. I mm. mean, I think that's one of the things that it works really well with it. Is I made they, a point about they, minimal they have, score. Yeah, didn't you say something about it? they didn't use much music or something earlier? Oh, no, I thought you not, did. No, not at all. No, I thought I, I thought you made a point something about not much. Oh, I thought you no. Were you not saying that for the gunfight? You said they didn't use any. Um... No, I was. I was just saying it was like heat for the sound. Oh, effects okay, they were okay, using. but um. Unless I've said something else. No, no, fair enough. But, uh... <laughs> well, no, I mean it's the the, the score in it is is really good, but um, it, it it's it, it's sort of to the the score is used for more of a, a emotional punch than it is for like the chase scene. I don't remember there being much like you know chase music. It, it's it's more about the sounds of the 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 car engines exactly, and yeah. stuff. I mean there is there is music in some of the stuff, but it's, well, they, they don't I remember more. Yeah, the, they don't bring it in until no. the, the the car chase has been going like a good sort of five minutes before they bring yeah. any any score in, which which yeah. I think is yeah. It, it's it's all it's all about the sound of those engines. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember at the time as then well. They, I used there's to, certainly that's certainly that's high up in yeah, the mix. I remember at the time as well. I used to really love the Audi S8 Quattro that they have in this film. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know that that's that's a fantastic uh, car. But uh, obviously, and I, well, this this was back in the day when Audi uh, were sponsoring a lot of films. There was a lot of Audis in films. I remember uh, iRobot had a. Um, had an Audi in it as well, didn't they? It was sort of a kind of concept car that. Yeah, yeah, it was. I don't based know if they on... came up for the film. Yeah, no, I think it was, I... or if it was something that they were designing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's what sort of evolved into like the R8 and the sort of a mixture of that and the TT kind of thing. But um, but yeah, and I mean, you know, you have that great chase. Obviously, you've got the five series BMW in this as well that she's that she's driving, and then uh, you know De Niro. Mm. Uh, um, chasing in a Peugeot 406 and uh, you, you, you know it, it works really well even though there are some obviously because they do everything kind of for real there's a few continue continuity issues in the fact that uh, just before the end of the chase um, the the wing mirror gets shot off on the 406 but then yes. but then it's, <laughs> it's magically back, back there for the end of the chase so uh, <laughs> it, it, you know it's it, it's it's not without its flaws yes. but it's certainly uh, all of this sort of kinetic action um you know which is all done by by stunt professionals etc really works and i think i think that goes for not just for the the wonderful car chases but also for the um for the for the, for the firefights for the gunfights in this as well which um you know are, are again very visceral and uh you know much like you said in heat and, mm. and really work and you you know you you get you you get several throughout this movie so um i you, you know i just think it's a lot of fun um mm. I, I never get bored of it uh you, you know even when i watch it now and i know what's going to happen I, i'm still very engaged by it um, the one thing about the ending, uh, and there is a there is yeah. an alternative ending on the um, on on the DVD edition of it. Um, there is which, indeed, which, yes. which I didn't really care for, so I'm glad they sort of didn't do that. But um, the one thing I didn't did annoy me slightly is that that one voiceover just at the end by Jean Reno's character, where it kind of explains. <laughs> yes. The, the end and i'm thinking it doesn't need that we get it you know and and i and it just sort of felt out of place i was like why the hell have they stuck that in there um that's my only sort of real criticism well i on it. i i think that 
voiceover is not Frankenheimer's strong point. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think we're going to talk a lot more about that in a, in one of our picks for hell. This is true. Uh, hint, hint. Uh, but yes, it's it, it kind of... Um, it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, voiceover at the end of Blade Runner, <laughs> you know, where you get this wonderful moment and it's just suddenly ruined by this fudding uh, voiceover. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just, it didn't need it. Um, no, it totally no, didn't need it. it, really I, I, didn't, was like, no. I was like, I was like, but then I, 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 I totally agree with you. Um, I'm glad they didn't stick with the alternative ending where uh, Deirdre and, uh, Natasha McElwain's character turns up to see Robert De Niro's character and she's grabbed by uh, her employers or the IRA. Or, yeah, whoever it is. You know, and, and, and it, yeah, she's grabbed and pulled into a van and they drive off and you go, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. We, we, she will never be seen again. While with the ending that we have, uh, the the hope is that she's still out there and she's, you know, you know, survive. Exactly. I mean, the, the, you know, you have to draw a lot of your own conclusions at the end, but, but yeah. this this film yeah. works as a very <laughs> a very good standalone movie. And and you, you know, obviously yes. we talk a yeah. lot on these podcasts about franchise, etc. And um, you, you know, it's it, it's nice to just have a standalone action thriller movie that works and 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 I really do think it works despite you know any 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 shortcomings that yeah. it may have. Uh, I think overall, this is a damn fine ride, you know? <laughs> uh, before we move on, I have to ask, what do you think's in the case? Because <laughs> I have to say, that that is the one frustrating thing about this film, is even though it's a MacGuffin, we never find out what's in it. Even, not even a, you know, a visual clue. And it's... It wouldn't be too bad if it wasn't the fact that even the characters go, what's in the case? What's in the case? What's in the case? Well, you ever hear Robert De Niro say a lot is what's in the yeah. case? What's in the case? What's in the case? And uh, we never find out. And yet people, people are willing to pay a lot of money and kill each other over it. And you never, and I think for that, we as an audience should know or should find out what it is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, even just, even just a hint. Maybe it's the case from Pulp Fiction in that case. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, well, I mean, the thing is the, the case is, I always, I I just assume it's a pair of ice skates. (laughs) (laughs) The the best ice skates ever. Really expensive ice skates. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, the other point I wanted to bring up as well is that, um, you know, one of the reasons why it's called Ronin is um, the idea of a um, Robert De Niro's character being a masterless samurai, yes. that he's his master has been killed and that he's had to, uh, you know, fend for himself. And uh, Michael Lonsdale tells him the story about, um, about a set of ronan who uh 47 ronan yeah uh, (laughs) well yes well it has been made into a film and it's very different to the story that michael lonsdale tells because in the 47 ronan a it's got keanu reeves in it and b they go up against magical creatures Mm. like dragons and witches and 
wizards. So, uh, yeah, not quite the story that Michael Lonsdale tells. It would have been very different if yeah. he had. Oh, yes, and then this dragon came out. I and... mean, I love that scene with Michael Lonsdale and the models yes. and, uh, yeah. and um, De Niro. But, you know, in some respects, it is almost like a scene that's in there just to kind of explain the title, isn't it? But... Uh, but but I but I do like it. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, it's it's not like it doesn't knock you over the head no. with it. It's not like going, oh well, you're a Ronin because la 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 la. Masterless samurai. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Were there seven of them? Uh, not not quite. <laughs> not quite. No. Forty-seven. But, uh, yeah. But Maybe. yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 a good film, and it's it's just one sort of to go with. Because if you think about it too hard, your 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 brain will freeze. Because <laughs> it is no, definitely. It's, it's very twisty. It's, well, no, it's very twisty. I mean, people people double cross each other left, right, and center, and um, it it is very much uh, the acts sort of change from the double crosses. <laughs> so your first yeah. act is about trying to get the case, and then the second act begins when they're double crossed by Stellan Skarsgård and then and then they're trying to get the case off him. I like his particularly nasty creepy scene at the playground. Yeah. That's pretty nasty. That is pretty nasty, <laughs> yeah. And then he gets double crossed by uh by the Irish and then it's trying to get the case off him and then uh, you know it just it's double cross after double cross after double cross. But it's 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 enjoyable film. It's really well made, and it's got some great uh, car chases in it, great gun action in it, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's you know it's well worth well worth watching. I mean, I again you know really enjoyed watching this film. Yeah, absolutely. Right, moving on. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so you're going to ask me what my pick is. Yeah, so come on, Simon. So what is your pick for Movie Heaven? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I kind of hinted to it earlier. I said there was one film that uh, John Frankenheimer sort of uh, initiated. He was the one who he went out and uh, actually went out to get the money for and and produced the film. And that's the film uh, Seconds uh, from 1966. Uh, Seconds is... I would say it's it's a it's an independent film. It's quite low budget, um, mm-hmm. and it's about uh, a character called um, called Arthur Hamilton. Uh, he's an older gentleman, and uh, he is given the opportunity to uh, live another life, to live the life that you know of somebody else. And at first, he he, he never quite sort of takes to it, and in the end it kind of he can't deal with it and it kind of becomes his downfall so it it is about it's about giving us a a second chance you know seeing that the grass is greener on the other side and realizing that actually it's not that green and what you had in the first place was a lot better but uh, unfortunately because you've gone over the fence you can't go back yeah uh you have uh john randolph who plays uh, Arthur Hamilton and he gets a phone call from a friend of his who's um, who had passed away, who had died. And he gives him directions to go to this, um, this location. And he goes through 
various places before finally getting to this office, which he can't get out. And they kind of press gang him into into this. It's, it's, it's like the fact that because you've turned up here, you've agreed to it and you've got no other choice. And so he reluctantly goes through with an operation and becomes uh, Rock Hudson. And <laughs> they give him this sort of... I'm not quite sure if they if he's sort of the same age or they made him kind of younger, but they've they've certainly they they, they kind of work on his physique. Uh, physique. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the guy. Interestingly, mm. the the actor John Randolph is only about I think he's about a decade older than Rock Hudson in in real life. I don't think there was a as massive an age gap as the as the dramatization of it. Um, actually implied but uh well i mean when when i first watched it i thought he had become a younger man but then watching it again recently he 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 hadn't become a younger man he sort of become a different man yeah i mean it's it's sort of ambiguous um the, the 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 whole thing really with this shadowy organization i mean i think it's a very interesting film i mean mm. god it's dark for, yes. for one thing but <laughs> yes I, I thought it was very interesting because um you, you know, I mean, we often joke about it and talk about it um, on these podcasts and some of the film picks that we've had. You know, this this whole thing about, um, you know, you know, getting older and dealing with, uh, you, you know, wanting to hang on to youth and all this, which I, I think sort of all, all of us as filmmakers kind of kind of want to do because we, we haven't really grown up. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. why we're filmmakers. And, uh, you, you know, so I, I, I think I think thematically, um this was very interesting and, and kind of, you know, kind of in some respects, maybe maybe even a tad ahead of its time um, when, it, when it actually came out. I think very much ahead of its time. Uh, this whole yeah. idea of, you know, becoming somebody else, uh, I think was, yeah, it was a concept I think was kind of alien at the time. There was a film last year, I think it was last year, called um, Selfless, where Ben Kingsley basically goes through this um similar sort of thing to become like ryan reynolds (laughs) which we'd all do right um and it it, it, thematically it it follows you know some some very similar um similar things in fact that the next picture show kind of missed a bit of a trick trick there because uh they're always taking sort of a contemporary filming and comparing it to uh to to a classic and i think that uh you know that and 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 seconds could could really sort of match up here as to having some similar traits there's a reason possibly why they didn't go down that route and it's the fact that with um with this is it selfless selfless yeah yeah, yeah. i it's need the, to rewatch it actually, is, but yeah. it's the fact that um that he takes over somebody else's life that he's he's put into a body of somebody who's living it's not him being having a facelift and a tummy tuck right right yeah he's actually taken his mind is put into the body of somebody else while in the case of this it's not the case no now the the thing is the film kind of alludes to this that they he actually may have been taken over the life of somebody else and that he's made to look like that person because when he after the operation he turns up um at his where he's going to live he turns up the airport and this guy recognizes him and you know says hi how you doing you're off you know doing this this and this and he 
has no idea and he does ask about it because when he turns up at the house he has like a handler somebody there to sort of help him transition into this new life and um he asks about that guy was he put on by the company and he wasn't so there is this sort of it, it kind of alludes to that he he may have actually taken over somebody else's life that he had you know he had been turned it to look like this person so god knows what happened to the actual person he had uh you know he had t- whose life he'd taken over yeah well it's, it's that implication at the end that they um they become the cadaver isn't it um uh yeah I, I, I mean you know this film is really bleak uh, sorry what, <laughs> what, what do you what do you mean by a cadaver that, that, that they have that whole thing because they discuss it at the contract at the beginning whereby they have to find the um you, you know uh a, a body with with, with similar dimensions etc to be in the in the accident um oh, and he, you know he suggests like right. a f- yeah, yeah, fire yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. he or yes, something yes yes yeah. and then and then at the end they they sort of imply that because he sort of rejected the he's rejected this new life it hasn't really worked for him psychologically um that uh that that, that you know he's going to be used for that program and uh which is i mean that's massively bleak it's very and massively like bleak is, yeah what, and what i love is the doctor in it is actually played by richard anderson who of course played oscar goldman in the uh in the six million dollar man and bonnet <laughs> woman series <laughs> so it's like he's like kind of the antithesis of that character i love it <laughs> well there was quite a few familiar faces in there i mean you've got murray hamilton yes as his, yes. Uh, as his uh, deceased friend i mean you've got uh jeff corey who i remember seeing lots of films uh and then the actress who um the the woman he sort of hooks up with in his new life is played by Salome Jens and she's known for doing Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh is she? Okay. Yes she well this is the thing you wouldn't recognize her. I hadn't made the connection okay. Because um, she was the head changeling of the Dominion she was the woman who was in charge. Yes yeah yes yes yeah Odo's people yeah that's right yeah Right, right, okay, yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah. All right, but I, I, um, I, I remember when. I first... Oh, I love the Star Trek. So we got a Star, Star Trek, Trek connection. connection. <laughs> this is great. Yes, okay. And a, and a Spielberg connection with Murray Hamilton. Oh, there we go. Yes, always, the, always going to be the mayor of uh, Amity. Mayor of Amity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. In this, that, this, that cool. was the thing when he appears on screen. I was like, whoa. I know him. <laughs> Straight yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he hadn't changed much, had he, in that no. six years, uh, 10 years or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, uh, really good. And, and again, mm. back to your thing sort of at the beginning about photography mm. um, on this. I mean, again, you know, a black and white film here, but very interesting in that, uh, again, very sort of paranoid uh, opening where, you know, he has the thing where he's got the, that really weird effect where he's got the camera attached to the actor yes so that you know it's it's fixed on the actor and and then you've got like the sort of background doing weird things because of that and again um you, you, you know 
I'm not sure that effect had been probably used that much. No, back in, it was back it, in the day. It was very much the the first time it was done. I mean, the DOP on this is James Wong Howe. Right, amazing cinematography, especially when it comes to black and white. Uh, he shot uh, Sweet Smell of Success, which is like one of my favorite films. I love that film. Mm-hmm. I love the photography in it because it has that um, it does it has that appearance of not being lit. Yeah, um, that film takes place on the streets of New York, going in and out of um, of shops and clubs and offices and stuff, and it it just carries that realism. The lighting looks absolutely natural, even though for the film stocks of the day, they would have had to be lit. You, there was nothing fast enough to capture sort of uh, practical lighting unless they were in a very bright area. I guess the centre of New York at the time was very bright, but still, um, he his his look of films was very natural. They looked like the environments they were filmed in, and they didn't look like they had been lit at all. And so, yes, but the, the whole, the, the shots of, you know, of the camera being connected to the, the actor, um, yes, it was the first time they did it. Uh, I believe they uh, created a harness for it, a rig, but they they must have had like a whole group of people holding the camera because uh, panaflexes and stuff like that are beasts. Absolute I was going to say, big beasts. old beasts. Big yeah. old beasts. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it might have been, they, they might have used, because um, I know coming out of World War II, they, the, they had like the more portable cameras because for use for news the news gathering before they went to video. Uh-huh. So it might have, it might have been one of those cameras, but still those cameras are still quite heavy. So um, it, it was a hell of a feat. And it, you can tell it, it was because they only use it at that first scene. It's never used ever again. And there's certain spots in that film where you think, oh, actually that shot could have worked in that, in that area, yeah. but they don't use it because it, it it was such a, a, a such a feat to do that to to replicate it throughout the whole film, it would have yeah. been quite difficult. And also the fact that this, this was an independent film, they didn't have much money, so they didn't have much time to shoot. So a lot of it is kind of running gun. That's why there there isn't many locations. I mean, when he gets into that office for the first time, he's in there for quite a while. You know, pre op and post op. Yeah, I mean, it does have, even though obviously, you know, Rock Hudson um, is a fairly big star, it does have that kind of art house film feel about it, doesn't it? Mm. And, um, you, you know, definitely with that, you know, that use of camera there, uh, which obviously is much more common nowadays, but like you said, was sort of leading edge at the time. And uh, and then, of course, they had that wonderful sort of opening title sequence by Saul Bass, didn't yes. they, with the yeah. uh, sort of twisted mirror stuff, which is, uh, you know, very disturbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you kind of know you're in for a pretty dark, disturbing film as soon as you <laughs> see that, really. It's like, my God. Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think this... It's a really interesting film. It really, really works. Um, I actually got, interestingly, this happens with quite a lot of Frankenheimer's films. Um, in the US, they get released as Criterion editions. Mm. But here in the UK, they get listed under the Masters of Cinema um, title. Yeah. And what that means is you end up, you still end up with a, you know, a, a good quality transfer of the film, etc. But you end up with different... Um, 
extras, uh, depending on supplemental material, depending on what you get. And I got the, uh, the masters of cinema version. Yeah. And there's actually a very interesting, um, like sort of lecture, if you like on there, um, by the, uh, the, the film critic, Kim Newman. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And he, you know, he speaks very eloquently and uh, really waxes lyrical about this. And he, he sort of, he sort of makes, you know, he makes a lot of his own connections and assumptions. But he said that this is kind of, this was when Frankenheimer was going through a phase which he referred to as as his paranoia trilogy. Mm, so he yes. sort of says that started with the Manchurian Candidate, and um, this was like the. The, the third film in that uh, in that sort of dealing with the the second one being uh, seven days in May. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then yes. and then I, this. I, I, and... I've 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 heard of this before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, kind of like with into... John Carpenter's Armageddon trilogy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, he he talks about that, but interestingly, I mean, you know, he he sort of references it with with loads of other films that. Um, other filmmakers have been inspired by and uh, he, he talks again about one we we've talked about he says that um he feels that uh fincher had a lot of influence from this film when he made the game because he said he says the journey even though it's about a completely different thing in the game you know mm. thing, but the kind of character journey is is very similar and um he sort of points out some of the beats there and whatever. Um, so that's a really that's a really interesting extra, actually. Is yeah. is is uh, this this discussion that, um, or not discussion, but this this uh, these comments yeah. that that, uh, that that Kim Newman makes about this film and um, and 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 you know what why you know why it's why he believes it's you know a classic now. And he he again he, he also sort of makes that comment about it's 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 very much ahead of its time. Mm. Um, yeah. in some of the uh, in some of the thematics that it deals with there. Well, yeah, and it's uh, unfortunately it didn't do very well when it came out because of its sort of dark. Yeah, it's it's a film that if it had been made in the seventies would have been a hit. Right. Yes. But because it came out in sixty six, it was kind of it, it was too early. And yeah, audiences weren't ready no, for this. No. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the fact that he had Grand Prix come out the same year as well. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, he 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 went from like one extreme to the other, but uh, you know, it, it's a film that lives on. If anything, it's one of the films in his filmography that you know I think a lot of people when they discover it think, "Wow, this is this is very different to everything else." Oh, it was a great it was a great choice for movie heaven that you picked this because um, it's a little bit more, you know, m possibly more of our listeners won't know of this. It's a little mm. bit more imaginative than like what I picked with Ronan. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, but, but you, know, you know, I mean, what, what I haven't had a chance yet. Frankenheimer, uh, one of the things he does do a lot of or did a lot of was 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 commentaries mm. and uh, talking about his films. And he does actually have one on this that i haven't had the uh sadly i didn't have the time before this podcast to actually watch it with the commentary but i do intend to because i'd love to hear what his comments i'd, I'd love to have him talk me through you know this film and and some of the choices he made and mm. and etc because he's, he's quite in depth with with a, with a lot of that you know he takes it all very seriously oh, i would too as well because you know he he went out of his way to make this film he 
went out he got the property he produced it you know and from what i know for the rest of his filmography it wasn't the case it was more the case of the studio brought this you know the work to him yes yeah i mean it was based on a it is based on a um a novel but a very a very slim novel mm. i mean it's it's almost like a novella yeah um uh and you know and, and has obviously been expanded out somewhat for this so um but but yeah i mean it is a very i think it's you know even today i mean this is this is the sort of thing that, that you know i actually think almost almost resonates more today than mm. when it was made yes um <laughs> yes indeed, you know yeah. because of this 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 whole this whole thing of image and um uh well, also the fact that uh people are can live another life now through social media they can pretend to be something they're not there you go you go you you can set up a you know social media page and you know say you're a millionaire or you know and people have done that people have lived these sort of you know what on social media looks like a great life when really it's just a lie Mm. and that's what this story you know talks about the fact that even though you may be unhappy with your current life, you're going to be even more unhappier, you know, stepping into the shoes of somebody else or, or stepping into a new life, one that you didn't um, create, one that you didn't earn. Mm. So he goes from being um, working in a bank to being an artist. And, you know, they apply, you know, they supply the art, you know, they say, well, you know, give it a bit of time and you'll be fine. And, um, but he just can't he can't shake off his old life he just can't mm. he just can't step into these shoes and it it, it seems that when you see at the you know when he goes back to the office that there are other people who are in the same you know situation as he is no i mean the, the desires are fulfilled but like you said they're not earned are they so right, um yeah. uh yeah that that can be a very hard transition yeah but uh, but then something we can all relate to as well in terms of we, we, we all dream, it's, you know, about these things. <laughs> it's just the difference between, you know, the, it being a dream and being reality. And uh, um, this definitely shows the dark flip side of the coin. Yes. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but before so, we uh, before we move on, I have to ask if if you were given a chance to live another life, what would it be what what's the job that you would have if you if you were in that office and they were saying what job would you like to do what would it be oh well, i mean for, for me it's it's always been you know um the career that didn't really happen you know and that is um you know actor come filmmaker you know for sure yeah but you i know? mean yeah, that, um, but it could still happen don't don't give up on it <laughs> well yeah we're, yeah, we're talking we're liked... talking about we're talking about so you're going to live a completely different life that means doing something completely different so if you were if you were given that chance if you were in that office what would you choose what would i have as a different life altogether um god i i i don't know i mean it would have been it would be really great to be um you, you know i'm not i'm not ta- i'm not a talented musician but oh, okay. uh, it would have been really cool to have, you know, 
had the talent of you know Paul McCartney or somebody like that. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and, and, and uh, ha- have that life maybe and and experience that and be a performer in that in that way. If if I was given the choice, uh... yeah, what would you do? I'm going to put it back on you. <laughs> I would have liked to be an artist. I, I like would have liked to been able to paint and draw. Uh, bloody useless. Um... But to... you're a filmmaker, so you're another kind of artist. Yes, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody's seen my storyboards, you know, I'm definitely not an artist. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you're you're painting other ways. I mean, I, this is the thing. I think this is again full circle about why movies are so great. But I, what I love about it is the combination of all of those arts, all of the art forms combined to tell a story. Yes. And I think that's what's what's so great about filmmaking and the fact that it does touch all those other other areas and 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 you know this is the thing you or i can't draw necessarily but you know when we work on a project we have a production designer that that does that stuff because that is their thing you know and a costume designer a storyboard artist and costume designer come and make the costumes you know you as a film director you surround yourself Mm. with the people that are going to do yes. this but it's all channeled through your vision yes. so yes you know it's it's another way but yes i i do understand the um it would be good to <laughs> be really good at something like that wouldn't it it would be uh it would be kind of interesting but uh you know we're moving on to our uh movie house uh so uh, yes. join us after the break uh for our picks so you're making a film. Horror film. Meta horror film. A horror film about horror film. Horror film about cinema. And why would you do that? Life is so beautiful. You just have something in your eye. I thought you said you wanted to do something different. Why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? It drives me mad. They all have opinion on everything. Nobody listened to me. Nobody tried to understand anything. Just too much. I found out recently that I had a, a syndrome when I was younger. When I try to go to sleep, the whole world will change. Like everything will go too quick, too slow, or too big, too small. I could control it. Benny Loves Killing. Available now on Vimeo and IndieFlix. And if they don't go for it, you'll kill them all. Kane, the Stone Cold Assassin. Three men, Corbin Taylor, Zeke Jones and Jesse Williams, were held for questioning by Marshal Gazer. His revenge will be swift. Ain't you the law around here, Sheriff? Nowhere to run. No place to hide. Jesse, you ever meet Kane? The new violent and bloody horror short from director Mike Tank. Red Wolf Pines. Is that what you told Luke? He died like the dog he was. Starring Keith Hines as Kane. That bastard ain't gonna find us out here. Available on YouTube and official website www.apocalypticconservatory.com Red 
wolf pines, rated R for Rowdy. What's the matter, Jane? Well, it's kind of hard to explain. I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something wrong. Jane? Well, I suppose we can't expect her to get over it just like that. It must be past this. So, so bright. Why is it so bright in here? It's just the dawn, Jane. You have to take her to the hospital. Have her placed under constant watch. Well, that much I know, but who done it? Someone has to die. Blood and Roses. Available now on Amazon Prime. In the US, UK, Germany and Japan. Welcome back, and uh, so here we go. We've, we've been to heaven. Now we're going to hell. <laughs> uh, so, Keith, what was your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, um, you had already picked, which we'll come on to the one that's the real stinker. So I have to look <laughs> and see what else well, there was. I, I, uh, I, I, I have to beg to differ with you on this one, mate. I have to say, uh, even though my pick was bad, it wasn't boring. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I God, tell tell the audience how many attempts did you do to watch this film? Well, I, okay, I mean, I'll I'll, be, I'll I'll caveat it by saying I have been very busy lately. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to fit in my homework rather late at night, so I did. It did take me three attempts to get through this film because I kept falling asleep. So um, for my pick, but I think this is an interesting one to discuss because uh, this goes to show you um, when studios get involved. So my my pick is. Uh, from 2000. Um, in fact, I think sadly, was this the last theatrical film he did? I think it was. I think this is his final theatrical film. He did a couple of TV things after this. That's right, but it's yeah. a film called Reindeer Games, which in some territories was also known as Deception. Mm. Um, and this was a film that starred Ben Affleck, uh, lucky Ben Affleck, you know, right off the back of, um, you know, Armageddon here. So it, 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 it's it's Ben Affleck with his new Michael Bay teeth. Um, <laughs> the lovely Charlize Theron and Gary Sinise. So um, and essentially, you know, this is an action thriller movie. Wait, wait, wait. As it, as Are we not described. going to include Danny Trejo in this? Well, yeah, it's got loads of other, yeah, it's got Danny Trejo, <laughs> it's got um, Clarence Williams III and Dennis Farina. Oh, yeah. and, uh, oh even a cameo by um, Aston Kutcher. 
in yes. this film. And don't forget <laughs> Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes, yeah. I mean, it's got it's got a lot of it's got a lot of uh, it's got a there's there's a lot of reasons why this film should actually be really good and and really entertaining and, and it's not. Um, <laughs> a lot of fun. But, but but no, it's not. And and what's interesting is um, this is one where I did watch the commentary on it, and the reason being is the version that I got on DVD was the director's cut and this is this is a version that is more true to um frankenheimer's uh version of the film than what was theatrically released and was a theatrical flop okay um you you say that but i actually saw this at the cinema oh did you okay i know i was working the cinema at the time so uh, uh i got to see it for free but uh yeah, it's um, that's the only way I would have watched it, and I had never, I haven't watched it since, and until for this, so yeah. <laughs> and did you have, did you have any difference of opinion? No, since... Christ, no. <laughs> I've just realised it's also got Donald Logue in it, who's the guy who plays Harvey Bullock in Gotham, which is on oh, TV right. at the moment. Okay, so uh, hmm. not watching... sorry. What were you saying? Uh, I was going to say that, yeah, my, even though, uh, I didn't fall asleep for it, it was a really tough watch. Um, yeah. I really yeah. struggled through this because it was a whole lot of unlikable people doing unlikable things that you just really didn't give a shit about. And you was just, I was just waiting for the damn thing to, you know, to be over. And of course the first time I watched it, I didn't know about the twists. And so the second time watching it, knowing about the twists, I think made it even drag even longer because the, the mm, twist there are many is, twists. In the this. twist is very, it's very stupid and it's all also very, uh, circumstantial. And, you know, uh, I, we're going to go into spoilers if you probably, because you've probably not seen this film <laughs> and if anything, <laughs> I would suggest not watching it because it is not worth anybody's time. There is nothing good in it. Yeah. Yeah. It I is, mean, it's, it's yeah. called, it's called reindeer games because obviously it's set at Christmas and it was supposed to be originally released at Christmas. Um, it got the title deception because uh, it, it, it missed its Christmas release and in some territories, they decided to rename it. But of course, in the UK, there was already a film starring actually Ewan McGregor and Hugh Jackman called Deception. So, um, yes, it's had all sorts of titles for, yes. for one thing. Yeah. And also the fact that uh, Gary Sinise um, says to Ben Affleck, I ain't going to fall for your reindeer games. Oh, yes, went, yes, oh. it's got a few. Mm, a few? Yeah. Oh, it's, oh. It, it's it's got a lot and it's got a lot of things that are over explained as well um mm. as if the audience wouldn't get stuff they've got a lot of stuff where the the character actually says to themselves uh, you know they talk to themselves <laughs> to explain something and you think yeah. yeah we get it we don't need that but there's a lot of that in it yeah um, i was also the fact that the uh, i hinted at this before but the voiceover in this is fucking terrible and yes. It's, yes, it it's, is. It's it's when because I asked you because you watched the director's cut and I watched the theatrical cut, and uh, I I felt that the uh, voiceover was kind of forced, but uh, you were saying in the director's cut that it's actually there as well. 
Yes, it is. I mean, most of the changes and, and Frank and I actually does in the commentary go through them. Um, the film, the film he wanted was a lot darker right. and a lot more serious and a lot grittier because this is this is actually despite all the things it, it, it's, it's a very violent film. But the thing is, it's one of those films that feels like it's almost trying to be sort of a comedy action movie as well. Um, I'm not quite it, sure it, it, what it was trying to be. It was just it was just trying to be this kind of twisty thriller where you know it's surrounding a this bank heist, well casino heist, mm. and it was just so you you have a character who's pretending to be another character who is trying to outwit this group of uh, of robbers who you know their main what they normally do is they they run guns but for this case they want to they they want to rob this casino and they want to use uh, Ben Affleck's character to um you know so he's trying to kind of outwit them uh, you know all the t- yeah, all the time I mean, the, but then the, I mean, but the, the thing they're is then one another yeah, yeah uh, but then in, in the... but then you've got uh but they're being played by Charlie's Ferron's character and also the the guy who Ben Affleck's pretending to be. I told you it was going to be spoilers. It, it, it's the most stupidest twist at the end where he just turns up and he's like, oh, hi, blah, blah, blah. This happened, blah, 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 blah. And thank you to, you know, yeah. it, it, this is our master plan and we've been planning this for years. And this is my old girlfriend that I used to bitch about. And yeah, like, the, the whole the whole thing was a deception all around. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where... Um, you know, Frankenheimer apparently wanted a, a sort of darker, um, more violent film. Um, what happened was it played to test audiences. I mean, he's very candid about this in his mm. in his um, uh, commentary, although he doesn't blame. He, he said he takes ultimate responsibility for it as the director. But apparently um, the the studio. um it didn't test very well when it was first seen and it was commented that it was too violent and that the characters, as you rightly said, Simon, were not particularly likable. All right. So what they did is they had to go back and they had to remove a lot of the, 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 the sex violence and profanity that um, uh, Frank and Ima had in there. And they also had to reshoot a couple of scenes and they had to um, put some ADR voiceovers over to, to make, to add a few jokes to make Ben Affleck's character more likable. Apparently right. Frank and I'm saying that this is why he's tried to restore it. And what, what the director's cut is, is kind of a mixture of what he originally had and the theatrical release with some bits cut, some bits added, and then some lines and some voiceovers, uh, not voiceover, but some ADR lines cut out. Mm. So it's it's kind of a hybrid, but it still doesn't work. Yeah, um, yeah. I I have to say there was there was points when there was voiceover where you thought, well, actually this would work better if he wasn't voiceovering at the moment because it it just felt like the it was working with just like looks and stuff and what was going on the screen it didn't need somebody blundering away about 
I can't remember what he said. It was so boring. It was so he didn't he didn't seem to care about it at all. It's like hi, I am this character and I'm in for this, and it was just like wow, you're yeah, he was in the he was in for Grand Theft Auto. I mean, I mean, essentially, what what one of the things with this? I mean, let's just just talk about Ben Affleck real quick. Um, mm-hmm. uh, got a lot of time for Ben Affleck actually. Um, I think he's a uh, a very witty, very intelligent guy. I've 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 actually been fortunate enough to see him interviewed. Um, I I think that he he's made you know in terms of his directing, he has actually made he's a good filmmaker. He he's, is. He's, he's a very some, good filmmaker. Some very good films. Um, this point of his career was that thing when he was just starting to become Mr. Leading Man, and um, he, you know he he did make some poor choices uh you know in in this point of his career but the thing is in this film is he doesn't really work because it's not uh, i feel you kind of wasn't almost wasn't given enough direction um i'm not saying he's a bad actor but he does not come across particularly well in this film mm. um I, I i thought anyway i thought you know G- gary sinise is a good actor he he's very much hamming it up in this as, <laughs> as the truck driver that wants money um and charlie's theron actually admits that the only she she admits this is a poor film and the reason she chose to do this at this point in her career was because she did want to work with frankenheimer because obviously by by this stage you know they they'd grown up on his movies and um uh you, you know he had he had a rather good track record mm. um yeah i mean the film he'd done before this was ronan yeah so uh yeah. you know which which we've already sort of agreed is is a decent film now with this one um can i essentially the, can i just yeah, say sorry. something before you move on yeah i have to laugh this when it comes to gary sinise because this was the phase where he'd gone from playing nice nice guys to bad guys <laughs> yes and it was like um so he'd been in like films like apollo 13 and he was like in the stand miniseries and stuff like that and he was always you know he was always sort of the nice guy and then he played uh a bad guy in uh oh god that Neil gibson film by ron howard um oh um yeah i know the one you mean uh the ransom one ransom 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 yeah. yeah ransom so he he plays a bad guy in that and then suddenly from that point on it was like uh he got pigeonholed <laughs> or that's what it, those were the kind of roles he wanted to play and so seeing him with the beard and the the, the the long hair and just sort of looking really greasy and having tats and stuff it's kind of like well i'm gonna just play bad guys from now on <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was his it was his actory um yeah bad bad guy phase and, yes. and bad truck bad trucker phase bad trucker in, in phase, this one. Yeah. What, what, what i also what i also didn't get with any of the guys in this right yeah. and maybe this is just a me thing but um y- you know it turns out that you know charlie's theron is 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 supposedly well Gary Sinise is originally introduced as her brother, but That's it turns right, yeah. out that she's his lover. But yeah. then she's got the other lover, and also she, you know, she's a lover of Ben Affleck's. And none of the men seem to mind the fact that she's fucking sleeping with everyone. That would that would yeah. drive me insane if she was my girl. I'd be like, well, I don't want you because everybody else has had you. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> the fact that the uh, her her sort of main boyfriend, the one who gets killed at the beginning. The one that uh, 
Ben Affleck's pretending to be, he's using her to do all of this. And she's quite happy with that. And uh, yeah. I guess it's just, you know, she just loves money at the end of the day. And she's just willing to do anything to get a shitload of money. Oh, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything there. But yes, well, no, no but <laughs> we're talking about the character. We're not talking about Charlie's Ferron. I mean, you watch this oh, no, film, no, 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 you no. watch this film. And you can't believe it's the same actress who was in like Mad Max Fury Road. It's like I'm I'm glad you you went off and did other things because if that was your trajectory, you, you know she she just wouldn't be a name now. Yeah, I mean, how many years after this did she do Monster? I don't yeah. think it was that uh, long afterwards, though. True. No. <laughs> oh, so it was a good it was a good move on her part, anyway. But yeah. no, I mean, essentially, the the setup here is, um, you know, Ben Affleck is this this con in prison um he's got a couple of days left so you're introduced to him he's in for grand theft auto his his prison cellmate um has basically been writing to this 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 woman on the outside who who you know he hopes to to meet and they've been exchanging letters for months and he's got photographs of her all over the cell and it is charlie's theron who let's be honest very attractive young lady yes um, who who played and, who was in monster in 2003 so just three years later oh okay just three three years later there you go ben affleck's cellmate uh gets gets shivved his cellmate was called nick and and um uh um affleck is called rudy rudolph um which again <laughs> i don't know what that's supposed to, to to tie into the whole range i I, I i think it does i i i, yeah, I think okay. this film is so on the nose that yes it's very on the nose yeah. yeah so so essentially um he thinks his friend's dead he he goes to leave the prison and that sure enough charlie's theron's waiting for him and he has this crisis of conscience he's he goes to get on the bus he sees her and then he goes ah oh, shall i shall i Shall I talk to her? Shall I pretend I'm him? And he does. And, you know, he goes away, has a great old time with her, you know. Um, and and then this couple, then suddenly her brother, played by Gary Sinise, brother in inverted commas, shows up. And it all turns out that it was a bit of a setup um, because they knew that Nick, um, who he's <laughs> pretending to be, worked in this casino uh, that's actually run by um, Dennis Farina's character, and that there's a there's a load of money in there. There's this powwow safe in there, <laughs> and uh, basically they want him to help them go in and raid the money. So Affleck has to sort of to to protect his own life, has to sort of think on his feet and go along with the whole deception <laughs> that he is in fact. Yes. Nick. And all this sort of thing. And, you, you know, there are some scenes in this that uh, once I stayed awake and got through it, uh, <laughs> I found I found enjoyable. And the one I really liked, and this is what Frankenheimer is great at in terms of tension, is I did like the one where he escapes from his room, although I don't like him ex explaining everything he's doing vocally, but he escapes from his room to try and find a gun or something in 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 a vehicle parked outside and he yeah. has no luck with that and then he has to get back to his room without all the other members of the team seeing him and you've got a lot of those sort of tense moments where he just um misses them and everything and then to get back in his room this is the bit that really made me laugh with the self-description he's got this the only thing he managed to find was this lock knife in, mm. in, in the glove box of a station wagon. He found this lock knife. And to get back in his room, they've got one of those key code entry 
uh, oh sorry key card entry doors mm. and he prizes the top off of it but the worst thing is he says oh come on you used to hotwire cars for a living. You must be able to hotwire a door. And that's exactly <laughs> my example of where it didn't uh, need to be explained. Yeah. We got it, you yeah. know. And then they, you know, they have to go and do a sort of recce on this, this casino. Uh, but he goes, oh, no, I don't want them to recognize me. You know, you'll have to get me some sort of disguise. And they get him this really, like, cheesy cowboy disguise with a stick on goatee <laughs> so he goes I'm, I'm i'm break i'm going into an indian casino dressed as a cowboy you know again it's it's, it's all very sort of tongue-in-cheek yeah when i don't know if that was frankenheimer's intention but that's definitely how the film comes across um and he, he he goes in and this is where the whole ashton kutcher joke thing comes in because he's looking for a way to escape and he basically swaps in the in the bathroom. He swaps clothes with Ashton Kutcher so that Ben Affleck goes out sort of dressed as a college boy and tries to make an escape. And there's a there's a chase scene. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you know, they, they, they get back into this and eventually they have to do this this heist, which ends up with the whole team being dressed up as Santa Claus and um going to do this heist and i have to say foreshadowing was so obvious there's one bit where they, they ben affleck's character obviously they don't want to give him a real gun so they give him a water pistol right what he does with the water pistol is he ends up filling it up with liquor yes. and you you just know that at some point that's going to play where he's going to use the liquor to be flammable to get him out of some, you know, situation. And sure enough, one of the bad guys gets the gun on him and decides to light a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to remember that the the very first thing we see in this film is, is all the dead Santas. Is all yeah, the dead sorry, Santas. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we, we knew it was going to go to shit. Uh, and I think they were trying to pretend that one of the Santas was actually the Ben Affleck character. And there was no point in this film where you thought that was going to be the case. No, no, you you never really think that. Never once thought that. Oh, poor Ben Affleck. He's that's where he's going up. What was what would have been the point of watching this film? The end of the day, apart from ending it rather, uh, you know, quicker, <laughs> it'd be over yeah. sooner than it is. You didn't have to sit through the sort of preposterous twist. You know, no. Hi, I got myself shiv so you could take my place, so my girlfriend could screw you, and then screw this guy, and screw this guy, and you know, oh dear, it's like. Yeah, I mean, it was so convoluted. It was. It was like if, I mean, they do say, well, what if I hadn't gotten off the bus? Well, you know, we still would have done this, but it didn't feel like. It was one of those films where it was just like, this plan is so terrible that it is. You're you're basing it on the fact that he was going to make this decision. It wasn't like yeah. she went up to him. It was he no. felt, you know, and of course he Nick says all this stuff about well in prison I was reading all my letters and I knew how you felt about her and all this kind of stuff and I knew you'd do it and he's like, no, that's not good enough a reason that somebody would do something like no. that. It, it it's very, you know, it it. it there's 
it's pretty forced, isn't it? It's no, very it, forced. It's, it's, it's pretty forced. And the the thing is, I mean, you know, some of the action sequences are, um, you know, well done and entertaining to a point, but obviously none of it sort of um, compares to to you know action sequences like we had in for example ronan yeah um yeah they they, they don't compare at all and one, one of the things that's quite sad listening to the commentary is uh, as i said you, you know um frank and Ima doesn't point loads of blame he knows when he's recording this commentary that this film's a bit of a turkey <laughs> and he tries to um sort of justify the reasons why with with this whole industry uh, audience screenings yeah. and and how he, he thinks that isn't good for films obviously he's coming from an older school perspective there um but one of the things as well that was kind of sad when i listened to the commentary is he talked about uh, obviously this was the last theatrical film he ended up doing but he talked about people he wanted to work with again one of them being gary sinise mm. and he also talked about how he wished to um to embrace uh digital technology moving forward which again was quite refreshing to hear from a from an older school filmmaker in fact interestingly we, we mentioned Sidley, Sidney Lumet earlier who um he uh you know he worked with and uh one Sidney Lumet did an excellent I think this might have been his last film called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead with yes, Ethan so Hawke and Philip yes. Seymour Hoffman yeah, I've seen it. that was and that was shot digitally yes Exactly. Yeah. He he embraced he embraced digital technology, even though he was very old school as well. So that's yeah, but, um, that, that's but then, interesting. But I mean, we talked about seconds, and we talk about the the use of camera in that. So he's very much somebody who embraced new technology and new ways yeah. of doing things. So it, no, it's kind of it's kind of funny to think of him as old fashioned, where he was quite that he wanted to embrace all this new stuff. It's just a, it's a weird way of looking yeah. at it, really, you know, because in some it ways, is. back in his day, he was an innovator. Yes, you know? yeah, no, very much. And then the, the the other thing about this whole sort of action stuff as well is is obviously, you know, I know we're going back to Ronan here again, but um, you, you know, we were saying about how the all of the car chases had to be done with you know proper proper mm. stunt work and done for real and driving and camera techniques, etc. And then I don't know what year. Um, I don't know what year Bad Boys 2 came out, but when you think that that massive car chase in that is nearly all CGI, um, uh, I don't know how many years later that was. See, so only three years later, and mm. uh, um, you know you're able to achieve those sort of things, um, doing it virtually and and i guess safer but uh you, you know it's 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 interesting but sorry i've got off the point of reindeer games i think i just want to get <laughs> to the end of it don't i um so yes. so yeah i mean i mean oh dear I, I you know it's it's you can tell it was a film that was messed with um you did say about uh studio interference so what way did the studio studio interfere with this well, well, the, the 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 point he made was the fact that they got nervous because of the. T he had the film that he made, right. which um, the the director's cut is kind of that. Yeah, yeah, it's not exactly that. And and in Frank Frank and I own words, it was a darker, grittier, more violent version of right. what was released. Okay. And it was, you know, this film, the, the film I watched was actually pretty violent. Yeah. Pretty, pretty full on violence. But what happened is that did not test well with the, with the test audience. Mm. 
they they just felt it was too violent and the characters weren't funny enough so of course you know the violence was cut down and as i said there's a number of um adr lines that were were added afterwards to try and be sort of witty one-liners from from affleck um which interestingly um he then removed for the for the um for the director's cut of it but right. he he does he does blame um you know that that process as to why this film didn't work but then having watched the director's cut the film still doesn't really work so i think it's like everything else it goes down to script and tone mm. and um i i i think the actors thought they were in a slightly different movie to what frankenheimer maybe had in mind because some of this was definitely ha- had massive comedy element played into it particularly when you get to the dennis farina stuff mm. in the in the yeah. casino yeah. um you, you, you know there's there's a lot of comedy played out there um as with with a lot of the 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 heist gang um you, you know you could tell the way they were delivering some of their lines they were trying to do it for laughs so i i think it might have just been a case of it hadn't been communicated. Um, the intention hadn't been communicated anyway. But I, but I don't know. It's it's not a great. It's certainly not one of his uh, not one of his standout films. No, um, no it's not. Although it's <laughs> it's not his worst. <laughs> no, I. Mm, well, this is the thing. I I think that uh, Reindeer Games is actually worse than my pick. Do my, you? Yes, I do. Okay, interesting. I do. I see the the thing about my pick is that there there's a lot to laugh at in the film. In Reindeer oh, Games, it's just very dull. It's a trash. Yeah. At least this, it you know, at least there are things to enjoy in this. You enjoy the acting. You enjoy the craziness. You can enjoy the creatures in it. It's you know it it's a film that you can it, it it's so bad it's good in some sense all right well may, maybe we should wrap up reindeer games and get on to that <laughs> okay why is there more you want to say about reindeer <laughs> games <laughs> not, not not really no. not, shall we just um, move on <laughs> you know, yes move on i mean let's, let's be honest everybody's done all right out of it in the end like uh ben affleck his career has gone from strength to strength. Well, the, um, the, all the Charlie's Theron. Yes, but they're all know, actors. All well. they're, they're all actors who who weren't at the beginnings of their career. If anything, they were sort of they they were already made. They were names. Yeah. So this film was not going to hurt them. No, no. They're just a bit embarrassed about it. Now, <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and talking of a bit embarrassed about it, <laughs> Simon. <laughs> What is your pick for movie hell? As if nobody's already guessed. Guess. Well, I couldn't go anywhere else but the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> oh, dear. 1996. In fact, I remember seeing I lived in the States when this came out, and I remember going to see it. Yes. You poor man. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was, the, this was oh. the, the third film that he came on to late, but this one, where is he sort of, saved or made the other ones work uh this this was the situation where he certainly didn't right <laughs> yeah yeah um 
I would suggest to people if they haven't watched it is to go and watch this documentary called Lost Soul. Yes. The, was it the the journey of uh, Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau? Yeah. Well, you told me you told me about it when we mm. talked about um, Lost in La Mancha. Yes. Um, yeah. When we when we talked about that on one of our podcasts, and yeah. you'd mentioned it, and I hadn't seen it, so I was like, okay. Let's check this out because now is definitely the time to watch it. And I think it's an absolutely fascinating it documentary. Is. And I learned loads from it that I didn't know. But doesn't it become really enjoyable when Richard Stanley gets fired and John Frankenheimer comes on? That is oh, yes. when the real craziness happens. So yes. for those who don't know, um, <laughs> Richard Stanley, the director of... Um, hardware and and dust yeah. devil uh he always wanted to do an adaptation of the island dr moreau well it had only been done twice hadn't it as a as a movie adaptation you had island of lost souls yes um and then you had and the then 70s you had his version yeah. yeah yeah and then one with Bert, interestingly with burt lancaster um yes as... and michael york in the late yeah. 70s wasn't it yeah and um which richard stanley said he actually walked out is actually he he walked out and demanded his money back at the, his local cinema and so but it was a book that he always loved and he had a vision for this story and his idea was to to make the book that the 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 creatures take over the island halfway through and then we see them what their sort of society would be like in some ways watching the documentary and seeing the uh, the sketches that were done the the sort of concept drawings reminded me a hell of a lot of the ending to the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Yeah. The idea that these man creatures actually have their own society or become part of society and they that you see them sort of dressed in human clothes, but yet they're clearly animals. Yeah. So uh, for, for anybody out there who doesn't know what the island of Dr. Moreau is about, uh, you are not going to find out from this film. <laughs> <laughs> this film is an absolute mess and we know that the reason why it isn't a mess is because why it is a mess is the fact that you you had uh marlon brando come in and just absolutely fuck he just he did whatever he want he was he you just from uh he he clearly did ice buckets on his head ice buckets on his yeah. head wearing white and <laughs> You know, you could just tell he was off script. He was just sort of making his stuff up as he went along. And so so the story is, is this man is lost at sea and he's picked up by a ship which has Val Kilmer's character on it. And he is dropped off at the on this island with uh, which belongs to Dr. Moreau, who's doing his experiments of where he's splicing humans with animals. Though where he's getting the humans from, I have no idea. There is that the, you have no idea where any of these people come from, where any of these, you know, were they volunteers? Uh, were they the inhabitants of the island? Were they other shipwrecks? You know, were they people who sort of made their way to the to, to this island? You don't know. And so what happens is, so they have this society and they they've been well forced into being vegetarians and suddenly when it, it kind of the inciting incident is val kilmer killing a rabbit 
um, when mm-hmm. one the one the beasts <laughs> see this. Well, because I, I didn't. I, I mean, I watched this a second time. <laughs> tell yeah. the truth and you're kind of like oh right well that's the reason why they they start killing animals and then they suddenly you know dr moreau sort of calls them out about it and kills them and and then this sort of revolt happens because they they want to sort of get in touch with their more uh animalistic side and less more so their human side and they kind of have like this device in them that um is connected to a remote control that gives them pain which uh, Dr. Moreau keeps. And one of the creatures um, learns how to remove it from himself and other creatures remove it. So the control is gone. And there's like a mini revolution on this island where Dr. Moreau is killed and eaten. And then those creatures get their hands on guns and they start, you know, running right around this island. And, (laughs) uh, you know, and in the end... Christ, I can't remember how fucking uh, you know the well, they, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's an explosion and everything's sorted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's a real it's a real mess. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so so what you had was you had John Frankenheimer. He took this project on because the studio had no faith in Richard Stanley, and he had had a few setbacks and so they got John Frankenheimer on board and he he asked for a lot of money and a free picture deal which they gave him because he didn't want to do it I mean it's it's clear that he didn't want to do it and when he got down there and got into the middle of it I I mean the thing was he wanted to work with Brando yeah yeah that was the that was the attraction yeah and the studio felt that because frankenheimer had worked with uh actors who were deemed to be um difficult that he he should he would be able to work with brando and bring him in line and unfortunately marlon brando is a completely different level of crazy yeah yeah i mean okay let's 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 put some of this into into a bit of context as well um well uh, uh, yes okay base base okay basically um you know frankenheimer yes he'd he'd come in and sort of made a success of, of of some previous films uh as we'd already mentioned but in this case um you know whereas a director's job is you 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 know you start from the script and you go through uh pre-production and then into you know post-production uh, and then post-production in this case um richard stanley had had basically done everything right up to the beginning of of, of principal photography mm. so he had done he had worked on the script he had done he had hired stan winston's team and the various designers to actually um you know, design these creatures from 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 his conceptual drawings. Um, he had gone through the casting process. Uh, this this whole thing with with Marlon Brando was was kind of a bit of a coup as well, because obviously this is an adaptation of the famous novel by H.G. Wells, and of course there there was always this controversy that. Um, at the time H.G. Wells had written this was the same time that Joseph Conrad uh, was writing Hearts of Darkness. And they were like, uh, back in the day, they were sort of competing authors. And of course, 
Marlon Brando had already famously been in um, Apocalypse, you know, Apocalypse Now, Now yeah. which was the, the, the adaptation of that. So there was a little bit of a sort of coup with, with, with getting um, Brando on board. Obviously, Kilmer was very hot at this point in his career as well because he had just come off the back of um, Batman Forever, which was hugely successful. I mean, I know, I know some people don't like that film. I, I actually... Uh, I don't mind Batman Forever. I've I've got a place in my heart for that one. But um, you know, you know, yes and no. Kilmer... I did, I, just to, to briefly talk about Batman Forever, um, I felt it was because Tim Burton's Batman was a lot darker, and I felt that they went. It was. They went. I mean, the sort of the neon look of it was just. It just felt really foreign, and it did feel like a, a step back towards the sort of Adam West Batman, it kind of was. I mean, it was just... It did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Yes, it but, is. Um, and, 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 but yeah, and, and it um, isn't, and it's no Batman and Robin. Well, thank God for that, because that one <laughs> is, is utter tripe. And I know it's still Joel Schumacher, but yeah. Um, but no, so, so you know, you had, you had Kilmer kind of at a point of his career where, where he was pretty hot as well. But also, I mean... If this project wasn't wasn't doomed from the start, um, timing. I mean, you have to put in context. You've got two actors here that are notoriously difficult anyway, yes. and 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 you, you know and and have been known for that. I mean, Brando, you, you know, right back, you know, playing Jor El for in Superman was was with Richard Donner was was hard work. You know, um, he, it was hard though, work on Apocalypse Now. But he's, yeah, exactly. Apocalypse Now. You know. He, it, Brando, wonderful actor as he was, um, was absolutely notoriously difficult and, and known to be and known not to learn lines and, you know, you know, read scripts and all that stuff. Right. But also the other thing that happened just prior to this film was Marlon Brando's daughter committed suicide. So you had him coming to this film you know a difficult actor anyway but mm. obviously dealing with the emotional um stress of having lost a, a child which i can't think of anything that could be worse you yeah. know than, than losing yeah. a child well they, it was it was one it was one of the setbacks because they he, he they they gave him time to to grieve and stuff it wasn't like they went oh sorry marlon you've got to get on a boat now and get over to australia no but i'm sure you don't get it i mean i'm you know, I've not experienced it, but I'm sure you don't get over that, um, you, well, you know, no, that quickly no, anyway. No, and no. then the other thing was, at the same time, Val Kilmer, who, who you know, is known to be a bit of a pain in the ass as well, right? Um, you, you know, obviously, because he'd been so successful by this point, you know, I, I guess he was getting somewhat arrogant. But also, right before this film went into production... Joanne Wally announced her divorce from him as well. <laughs> so he was going through a divorce from from his actress wife at the same time, right. as well as all this was going on. So, you know, the 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 production was was it had all sorts of issues, didn't it? Leading into so by the time Frankenheimer had got on, you, you had a a film that had already got a crew, a cast, or most of the cast. Um, and, you know, the design work had been done, the sets had been built, the location was where it was, even though it wasn't ideal for filming in. Um, 
and and you know a lot of the work and everything had been done so he had to step in very 11th hour and one of the mistakes they made of course was they started changing the script to fit his style more as well so again you know everything there was taken out of context as well wasn't yeah it? and also the the script was just getting changed constantly you know especially with marlon brando and val kilmer i mean it's yeah. you, you just had a lot competing of... almost yeah weren't yeah. they they were yeah. they were competing to be yeah. obnoxious can i just say about val kilmer i have to say he's from what they'd say in the documentary about how he behaved even if he was going through a divorce, that is no way to treat anybody. I mean, he, oh, was, God, he no. was such an asshole on that. And well, I think he was just stoned off his head. I think he was. I, I saw. I watched. Well, one no, of these but horrible... I mean, uh, no, uh, that's not my point. I'm not talking about. Um, so, it, there's, there's several things that happened. So when they, uh, the producer went to meet him over in Japan when he was touring with um, Batman, Batman Forever. He, he said, I've got no time, so just listen. He wouldn't let the guy talk. And then when he was working with Richard Stanley, he was like, uh, well, why is this guy getting talking? Or that's not how you do it. Or, you know, he was just undermining him every second. And then he started doing things to the crew where he, there was a, a they were talking about this camera assistant who's a focus puller and he took his cigarette and oh he and burnt it, his sideburn he burnt off his sideburn off he? I mean it's just like yeah. it, oh, it's outrageous it's absolutely there was no, outrageous there was no excuse for how he behaved it's yeah no absolutely I, I, but it was only because of his name it's you know it's it's a, it, oh, it's one of the things that I, I, I can't understand and probably why I, I, I don't know maybe Hollywood isn't for me where that kind of behaviour I would not stand for I wouldn't stand yeah, there no. and, and take it. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm not condoning his behaviour down to his his divorce. I'm just sort of saying that you, you know, th- things t- timing was 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 bad from that point of view. Um, but yeah, he's got no excuse for the way he behaved. And I watched one of these horrible like EPK type documentaries that was on the um the dvd of this that that, you know one of the things that was sort of came out and made at the time of the film one of these promotional things and he's interviewed in that and he just he's got these sunglasses on and he's just talking absolute nonsense i mean it's as if he's just tripping you know he's on another planet i mean Mm. he really he's he's about as coherent as brando ever is you know with those sort of things and uh yeah, you know, it, 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 it's a real mess. Yeah, it's a real mess. Another thing was, um, it's, it's a shame we didn't hear from David Fulis or well, Ron was, or Ron yeah. Perlman in that documentary. There was, yeah, they they don't they, they're not mentioned, and no. they're not interviewed, and it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know if it was that they didn't. Well, I mean, I, I gather they didn't want to talk about it. It was kind of like well, I don't yeah, want to revisit I'm guessing, that. but I mean, they don't. They're never brought up. No, exactly. They're not even mentioned. I mean, obviously there was another. I don't know whether um, Fulis was was actually the the one actor that um, Frankenheimer cast because uh, originally it was was it a guy called Rob Morrow or Ron Morrow or something who was yes who was, the, um, the guy from um, uh, Northern Exposure. That's right, yeah, and he yeah. he just couldn't wait to get off. Yeah, off he the, he um, he left. He 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 did he leave. Left. Yeah. Because when they when they when they stopped production, it 
that he he left so they had to find somebody else yeah well essentially the david fulis character is kind of the lead in this story mm. i mean he, he is the, lead, is the yeah. eyes to the, 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 the even even though yes it's the island of dr moreau um you, you know, he is the guy who, who kind of goes on this adventure and um, and and in 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 the book form, you know, narrates the whole story. So um, it's really interesting that that uh, yeah, Thewlis wasn't because um, again, this was fairly early in his career, I guess. Um, but it was interesting that he wasn't um, he wasn't present, and it wasn't even talked about that uh, that he took over that this, this role. Um, and uh yeah it's just it's just the other thing that made me laugh i watched the trailer after i watched the film and i had no idea the film was supposed to be set in what was then the future 2010 or whatever um back in 96 but i had i I never picked up on any of that i had no idea i just thought it was a contemporary thing but uh (laughs) apparently it was supposed to be somewhat slightly futuristic near future stuff but i only got that from the trailer i never got any of that from the fucking film <laughs> now um when you were talking about reindeer games uh saying it was a, a there was it was a bit more harder in the director's cut there is um i got a chance to watch the theatrical version and the unrated version and uh, there's no difference apart from uh the unrated version it is a bit more violent so, right. you know, the opening sequence where we see uh, David Fewis on the lifeboat and um, he has two other occupants who they knock each other over into the water. Well, the yes. unrated version is a slightly different. It, it happens. It's um, a different. Well, what happens is the two guys are fighting and one of them gets knocked over and then David Fewis stabs the other guy. And it's kind oh, of right. a very harsh fight. And then uh, when Marlon Brando dies, they you see a, you see a lot more of that of him being eaten. You know, it's a bit more bloodier, and I have to say, a lot more funnier as well. <laughs> seeing, well yeah. seeing, seeing a creature chomp down on an arm was <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Well, the thing the thing is, I'm, I remember when I I remember my disappointment when I when mm. I did see this way back, and I hadn't watched it again for obvious reasons until uh, last week for this for this um, podcast. But you know, I thought to myself at the time, you know, Brando, okay, great, you know, Val Kilmer, yeah, you know, he he was top of his sort of game there, and I thought, oh, John Frankenheimer, and oh, a, you know, a film, a horror film based on. Uh, you, you know, an H.G. Wells novel with with some sci-fi influences. Um, Stan Winston had done the the you know the 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 uh, makeup effects, etc. I was and I went sort of thinking to myself, oh, what's not to like? I'm this is going to be right up my alley. I'm going to love this film. And I just remember sort of leaving the theatre thinking, oh my god, you know that was so forgettable. I, I you know I don't really know what to say about that. And um, you know, rewatching it yeah uh, my, my my opinion hadn't changed at all yeah. um what i found more entertaining was actually the the lost souls yes documentary it's, to yeah. put this into more context yeah. because when you watch it as a film it's just a bad awful film yeah but when you when you actually then understand the journey that it went on to get to that the, the, the point of the released film um you know, you can see that it, it, it was bloody doomed, basically. And poor Richard Stanley did get a um, 
you know, treated very badly and yeah. Uh, yeah. now kind of lives as, as a hermit in a cave or something, from what I understand. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He lives over it, in France. He not? No, he doesn't oh, live in... Okay. What? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd heard some story, but no worries. But anyway, no, but, um, no, no. Well, but he I stopped mean, filmmaking, he, didn't he? No, he... he no, that was... no, no, he came back. He, he, he did like a segment uh, uh, in a, a horror film uh, anthology uh let me get the name of it but i remember seeing it at fright fest oh right so yeah. he's still doing stuff oh, he's good. still I'm doing stuff he yeah, he's completely you know, wreck his career yeah it just it was kind of like he was he, he was kind of like after that he couldn't get to work in uh hollywood um they, they, he did a segment in uh the anthology film called the theater bazaar and he his segment was called the mother of toads and it was probably the the best segment in that whole film and you sort of saw you know it, it, it you know you could tell it definitely was you know his film but um i have to say there was parts in dr moreau where you you saw sort of touches of richard stanley still there the bit where dr moreau's been killed and val kilmer's character is sort of sitting there in his place and you've got that green light and everything on him and he's sort of doing the marlon brando impression and stuff and oh god yeah which yeah. was awful wasn't it it was awful but imagine richard stanley had done that scene because i imagine well, that i imagine is... i imagine that was in the in the script i mean, imagine richard stanley it would have been like that sequence out of hardware where the the guy gets poisoned and he's dying and you see you you know, you have that whole sequence. It goes on for like five minutes. I I could imagine that was what Richard Stanley wanted to do and something similar to that. And you kind of see a touch of it. It's, it's kind of like, it, it's funny that even though he was kicked off the project and the script was rewritten, that st still some of his DNA was still in that, in that screenplay. I mean, to the fact that he is still credited as for the screenplay. Yes, you know yeah. he wasn't yeah, completely, and right, and rightly yeah, so. He wasn't completely so. written out of the whole film, which he could have. No, I mean he put he put a hell of a lot of oh, work in. Yes, yeah, leading up to the film. Um, I don't know whether anything that he actually shot ended up in the film or not. I don't know. I mean, he pretty much was off so, after no. a day of no. shooting, wasn't it, or something? They didn't shoot much, but they, they did more than one day of filming. Yeah, I mean, they actually they actually shot quite as much as they could before they got shut down you gotta remember it's kind of like a similar situation happened on apocalypse now where you know the, the rain stops stopped filming oh i mean he had loads of bad luck with the oh, weather yeah. and, and yeah. everything yeah. you know i mean there That's was bad luck. It, it, it was one one lot of bad luck after another i mean it was like a almost like a lost in la mancha type story in terms of uh you know, he had everything against him. Yeah, um, but on it, this, but and... the, the problem was that at the end of the day, the studio wasn't willing to back him. Well, I mean, he, he was an unknown entity, wasn't he, for a project this size as well? That was the well, other. Well, yes and no. I mean, there's just, know. I mean, for somebody, this was was going to be his third film. I mean, up to this point, he'd done Hardware and he'd done Des Dust Devil, and they were films that were sort of well received and well, and the the studio just did not have his back. Because, I mean, they worked with, I mean, you got to remember, they did seven with David Fincher, who'd come off, you know, 
his previous film was Alien Free, which mm-hmm. you know. Wow, we got that in here. Yes, Brilliant. I know, but <laughs> but they they seem to back him more than they backed Richard Stanley. Absolutely, the sort of producer on it had actually put money aside for another director before they even went out there. They yeah, they had that contingency, didn't they? Already, they weren't. They didn't didn't have his back, and that's the real yeah. tragedy of this film. Of, of the documentary is the fact that the studio was not willing to to support, you know, Richard Stanley, which they were very candid about in the in the documentary. Mm. I mean, that's one of the good things of that documentary. Okay, it doesn't it doesn't interview like or, or mention anything about David Thewlis, which is missing, but 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 everything else. I mean, it doesn't pull any punches at all. It is an absolute, um, you know, on the nose account of what went on and. You, you know, doesn't doesn't pit, paint a lot of people in a good light whatsoever, but um, but it, it does mm. feel very honest. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I have to say, I thought that uh, Farisa Bulk's character in the film was treated really badly. I yes, mean, the, when yes. she gets killed near the end, it's just it's just, there's no point to it. it. Just feels really absolutely pointless. Yeah. Just uh, and there's, but you have no connection to her either because her character wasn't really. She just seemed to be flitting around. I mean, the idea, uh, the idea is that that David Fewis's character, his blood is kind of being used to sort of, sort of take to sort of stop her transformation. But now that he's not, sort of been a blood donor for her, that's yeah. Uh, She's gonna. Yeah. That wasn't covered very well, was it? No. no. I mean, the the other thing, the other thing is, I, I'm I'm guessing. I mean, it was very interesting to see all of Richard Stanley's interview, and I would imagine that that documentary for him was quite cathartic. You know, <laughs> that, 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 that he was able to actually sort of get a lot of this off his chest. You know, some twenty years later. Um, but uh, y- 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 you know. Um, yeah what 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 a mess i mean what a yeah. what a uh, uh what you shouldn't do with a movie and and not great for frankenheimer's legacy even though he got obviously um money and a and a picture deal out of it but um yeah this 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 really i mean i've i've not met anyone that that likes this film no. at all and i mean it's no. critically and commercially panned isn't it <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's it's kind of what um i was able to sort of watch a version with a uh uh what they call it um not a laugh track but it's um a, a, like <laughs> canned a, laughter something. no no yeah. no it's a can it's a, a gag reel or something like that or a gag track where it's like two guys watching it and they're just sort of taking the piss out of it and that that was actually kind of a, a good way of, kind oh, of a bit like it. mystery science theater or whatever kind, that kind of, of like version. that yes yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah yeah uh, but they, um, they, they, it was, it was, it was kind of, yeah, it kind of made the film a bit bearable. But as I say, it's, <laughs> it, it, it goes along at quite a pace. That you're just sort of, you, you keep watching it and you're going, what on earth is going to happen next? I mean, there's echoes of films that came after it. I mean, with uh, Marlon Brando and that really little Spanish actor, who seems <laughs> to be a template for Mini Me. I'm Mini s- me. Oh, totally. Especially yeah, the I bit mean... when they're playing the pianos. He's playing a big yeah, grand yeah. piano and the, he's little mini me's playing the little piano. 
that was oh, that I mean, was genius and, yeah. and that was definitely that was definitely the um the the you know the seed of mini me yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. um yeah. You, you know which has obviously been massively successful in that genre of uh you, you know austin powers stuff but um and and again obviously south park and yes. and <laughs> the simpsons <laughs> and all those sort of shows use it all the time well i mean again it's very bizarre and and you know brando that was all brando taking a, a liking to this little fellow wasn't it yes. this is literally the <laughs> the smallest guy in the in the world at that time or whatever yeah, yeah? and yeah. um uh you, you know he ended up kind of getting promoted to the you, you know the, the 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 second villain almost because um it was going to be, I forget the actor's name, but there was going to be that other actor was going to have a more prominent part before. There was, um, there was a, it's a German actor. Yeah, it was a German yeah. actor, yeah. Well, between Kilmer and um, Brando, <laughs> they basically killed off that guy's part, didn't yeah. they? More yeah. or less. And like you said, Ron Perlman, he, he, he's not, he doesn't feature that big in, in this, does it? And interesting mm. that he had nothing to say on the documentary. Yeah probably just wasn't available for <laughs> for comment really or maybe they did talk to him and they had to cut it out because of time yeah I mean, this, this, yeah he's a pretty busy guy yeah. but yeah. yeah i mean i mean you know my, my advice to any listeners would be uh don't bother watching the island of dr moreau <laughs> but absolutely watch the lost souls documentary yes, because yeah. the documentary is far more entertainment value than the film well, by, yeah, by but I'm shot. I'm saying, but if <laughs> if you like really bad films that you know are kind of like so bonkers and you know make no sense, then then do watch it because the only the the one thing it's not is boring, and that is and that's that's what I say it's better than Reindeer Games. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see what you mean from that point of view. I I, put it, I didn't fall asleep <laughs> twice watching no. Island of Doctor Moreau. With its, I mean, it's only ninety five minutes anyway, yes. so it's a pretty lean film. Yes. Um, but yeah, it moves along at a pace. But half the time, you're just thinking, "What?" You know, I mean, I, there, there was so many yes. bits of it where I was just like, "What the hell are they doing?" And what is this? And it's just so bizarre you know but not for the right reasons yes. and, and and kilmer i have no idea what he's doing right from the beginning of the film he just seems like he's on another planet altogether i mean as bad yeah. as it's almost like he was trying to quite literally do an imp an impersonation of brando you know well he does <laughs> like he does at the end yeah 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 but uh but it was almost like he was trying to do that for the whole film because i mean as as much as there's that bit near the end where uh, he's doing a full-on marlon brando impression there are times throughout the film where he does it does slip in and uh yeah it's yeah it's it's kind of like if anything his character could have been cut and, you know, it wouldn't affect the film at all, really. No. And I mean, Thewlis, you're kind of, hmm. you know, he's the everyman who we're supposed to be with. And considering what he's got to work with, I think he delivers. I don't think that he's necessarily bad. At oh, it. it's no, just that no. the film around him is terrible, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's this weird things like um, when Dr. He, he, Dr. Moreau gives him a gun. And it's just like, what? That's really crazy. It's like, give him the gun. Yeah. Just... yeah. It's almost like Brando came up with that as they were filming. Yeah. Yeah. And and nobody <laughs> and nobody had the balls to turn around to him and say, we ain't doing that. Because just this weird, because they were so, I don't know, in awe of him. 
That's the that's the thing. Yeah, well, I, that's, is... the, that's the thing I don't get about Brando. Why people were so in awe of him? Yeah, when yeah, he was I know. he was the biggest pain in the ass going. They you yeah. know they bow to his every whim. He asked for all that money to do Superman for what is, I don't know about twenty to thirty twenty minutes of footage in the entire film. Yeah, but at least what it what he does end up doing in that work. Yes. I mean, okay, but it, you know, but I mean, the, the, not not like this. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> if it had been any other actor, they would have been fired. Yeah, an actor turns up does not know his lines. That is bad. Yeah, but because it was yeah. Brando, and he had to it had cue cards everywhere. Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is much as much as we often wish we were sort of working in it. This 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 whole thing and this film's the epitome mm. of of the shit side of Hollywood. You know, yeah. where um, where where studios and budgets and timescales and egos and all of that shit that, that that's present on any film, but when it just goes out of control and ends up with 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 a fucking you know mess like this of a of a story that's actually you know supposed to be an interesting and compelling yeah um, film. I mean, to the point that it's been made three times. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, War of the Worlds has only been made twice. There you go. So, um, but yeah, uh, y- you know, it, it, it's 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 a stinker. Um, although, <laughs> I'm actually really glad you picked it because, y- you know, and this is, a, again, one of the cool things about doing this podcast is, you know, I wouldn't have revisited this film. Mm. I wouldn't have bothered watching it again. <laughs> but... But I did, and and it made me watch the documentary, which was which was really interesting, and yes. do more research yeah. on it. So yeah. um, uh, I did actually want to watch the the seventy seven film. I just didn't get chance to do that as well because that is actually on Netflix. The um, yes, it is the yeah. Michael York um, uh, Burt Lancaster Burt Lancaster one, yeah. version. Um, but yeah, hey, and you know this podcast. You think about this. We've managed to mention Bond, <laughs> Batman, Spielberg, Aliens, um, Star Trek, Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, we've 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 kind of ticked the box of of what you know our staples are that we always mention. We've managed to get it into this Superman. You know, we we we've managed to get everything in there. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> So Frankenheimer, you've touched loads, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Is there anything Is there else any you more want to, to say? say? <laughs> I mean, we, I, I, well, it's the sort of thing. I mean, we could talk about this for hours because you know there is so much if you sort of start picking into it mm. and whatever. But um, but no, I mean, I I I I think we've given it a more than fair um, yes, fair use of airtime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so is there anything more to say about John Frankenheimer? Um, on, only that, you know, despite, obviously we always end movie heaven, movie hell with, with, with talking about the hell choices. Mm. Um, but you know, to, to leave it, I think regardless of the last two picks, you know, he has a, an amazing legacy of, of, of mm. quality films, um, in his filmography, as I said, some of which I still need to go back and uh, and, and and discover or rediscover because uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff there that yeah. even if I'd seen it, I couldn't really remember it. And um, certainly th- films that I hadn't seen. And in terms of home media, you know, I always like to talk about my um, 
home media minefield, as it were. <laughs> um, you, you know, there's a lot of his, his, his uh, material is available on Blu-ray. Uh, a lot of it involves commentaries by him. He was he was mm. very sort of, again, for an older guy, he was very um, up for doing commentaries, etc. So yeah. uh, well, a lot of his was... films have those. That was the nice thing about uh, when DVD came along, that a lot of his films did become available that way. I, I mean, it's how I got to see The Train and Manchurian Candidate, Birdman of Alcatraz, was all on DVD. Because they went back to their back catalogues, a lot of the studios, exactly. and released these films. And all of those films that you mentioned there, they are the ones that sort of uniquely, if you're really... If you're really a completist and a collector, um, you know, they have Criterion editions mm. in the US that have different um, extras and features to the <laughs> Masters of Cinema version or the Arrow Arrow video do the train. I know that for mm. sure over yeah. here. So, yeah, um, yeah I and mean... Manchurian Candidate, which I've got. So yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> that is that is the way of, uh, you know, of content on, over here and over in the States especially yeah. on these sort of prestige releases. So, it's a minefield. It's it is. Minefield. Yes, if only we had a show that could to guide us through it. Oh, God. Yes, don't. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble keeping up with this show <laughs> at the moment. But yes. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Frankenheimer? Sorry, I went off on my little DVD thing there. He's, he's made some great films, and uh, they're well worth checking out. Also... Uh, check out his BMW short he did Ambush uh, with uh, Clive Owen in it as the driver oh right he did that one yes yes, yes I've seen that and okay. it, I actually just check them all out because they're, they're really good and they oh they're have, great yeah, yeah. Um, I'm specifically a fan of uh, Tony Scott's one Race the Devil with mm -hmm. uh, Gary Oldman as the devil brilliant and um, James Brown having to be subtitled because <laughs> he can't understand a word he's saying. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> like like the famous Eddie Murphy stand-up piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hot tub. Gotta get in the hot tub. <laughs> Should I get in the hot tub? Yeah. Should I get in the hot tub? Yeah. <laughs> I love that sketch. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. So um, let's end in our usual manner. Uh, Keith, where can we find your work? Yeah, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, spell E-Y-L-E-S, um, there are some short films that I made uh, that you can look at there. Uh, plus, uh, if you put my name into IMDB, you can see projects that uh, I have done and I'm currently working on. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Also, you can find my work on IMDB. I am listed. Hey. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, we are on Facebook and uh, Twitter, so just search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Uh, we've, we've, got some, we've had one more, which is great. Oh, have we? Okay, cool. Uh, it all helps. It helps you know more people find us and sort of puts us up in the ratings a bit more so uh, some more stars and some more ratings and some more reviews would be uh, would be great uh join us uh for our uh next podcast 
And uh, thank you for listening and uh, join us again for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. <laughs>